1: doc i need you to come with me come with you where juliet said the kid's losing blood and we ain't got nothing to put back in him so we need you to show us where he sprung a leak no what no i'm not coming with you if you don't come with me jack that kid's gonna die Then he dies.
2: is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recaps talking season five episode 11 whatever happened happened i'm josh wiggler mike bloom i'm gonna need you to come with me we got a podcast right now
3: no what do you mean now then then the air dies. <laughs> then we get dead air if oh I don't come God. with you. Uh,
2: no, that's next week. Dead air is dead air. Uh, <laughs> this is Whatever Happened Happened where we just uh, talk about Lost for uh, somewhere in the range of two hours, I would expect. Never uh, past
3: 108 minutes.
2: And no stopping down, no editing anything out. Whatever happens, happens.
3: Right, exactly. It's completely live to tape. Yes. Nothing ever gets edited out in between. LTT.
2: Live to tape together... (laughs) <laughs> or dead air alone, oh, alone? no okay let's edit that out though let's make sure I'm putting a note down I'll definitely remember to to edit this part out and we'll just uh, we'll...
3: this is gonna be like your Faraday notebook where you come back and you're like what did I mean when I wrote that down oh yeah
2: that was always my notes anytime I did anything journalistic uh, like, <laughs> like yeah. I, would, like, I would go to a, a screening for like a movie review and like I had all these notes I have no idea what I just wrote
3: no, down I think we, we were very lucky to live in a day and age from a journalistic perspective we're like Recorders and other things existed, whereas I think back in the days when I see a lot of you know reporters with the press stickers in their hats doing the shorthand i 'm like I would have just been the worst of that, not only because I can produce chicken scratch but like I would not remember any of the shorthand I took down I would have several minutes it. after the no, fact. I would have
2: loved it. I would have w- I would have worn the heck out of one of those hats. It would have been great. It would have just been amazing. But if I, you know, make-
3: th- I mean, the problem is if you're concentrating more on the hats than the job, that's the
2: issue. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the hat does a lot of work for me. Anyway, <laughs> we're getting really lost in this. this. Is Whatever happened, happened. This is uh, the 11th episode of Season 5 following immediately on the heels of the major cliffhanger last week, and he's our you. Uh, baby Benjamin Linus has been shot. Oh my Shot? Got? uh no shot he's been shot uh he's been shot who's gonna make the sandwiches now turns out it's gonna be jack because he's gonna refuse to do anything else of substance uh and we're going to have a very very important kate austin episode uh her mm-hmm. final centric episode uh at least um not counting all of the sideways stuff she'll yeah, have fi- one next fi- season
3: final flashback episode not only for kate but apparently the final flashback episode for an oceanic 815 member uh, you know, obviously we're going to get yeah. Dead is Dead is dead, and Some Like It, Hoth, and The Variable are all flashback episodes, but around non-Oceanic 815 members. So we talked last week about it's very how— very thinning,
2: Mike, considering she was the first.
3: Yeah, exactly. So I think it's, it's a fun bookend, and I think this is also a representation of— us uh, sort of again, filling in those blanks. This is going to be a big fill in as to what Kate did. Uh, not that episode, but what she did in those three years, you know, outside of all the Jack stuff, which we got into a bit during, uh, there's no place, not there's no place like home, uh, something nice back home. I mean, let me also bookend the Kate episodes with the very first Kate episode we talked about, Josh Tabula Rasa. Cause I think. It has been settled, not to get too much into the points of it all, but I think this is the best Kate episode by the numbers, and I think that's because the key to it is because this is probably the best on-island storyline for a Kate-centric episode, IMO.
2: Yeah, I'm just trying to go through that real quick. So let me let me uh, run it down for you. So you yeah. have
3: Tabula Rasa, whatever the case may be, Born to Run, What Kate Did, uh, and then we have i do left behind hey you're an eggtown baby and now this
2: the oaks on you yeah i would certainly put this top 3 at the very least like i think that this for me um uh like the only two that would maybe compete with it off the top of my head or Tabula Rasa just because it's so classic and the story of the Marshall is like such a survival story and so early Coca-Cola classic Lost. (laughs) Um, And then I I do enjoy the urgency of like the Raft launch era and how that is like launching us towards Exodus. Um, But really, like, I don't even know why I'm saying these words because I think this is definitely a better episode than those. Uh, I think that this is for sure the best uh, Kate episode. Um, This is one of my maybe the, uh, this is one of my uh, favorite acting uh, moments in mm. all of Lost uh, comes in this episode. Certainly my uh, all time favorite um evangeline lily moment in the entire series i think uh a a series best performance from her uh, potentially a career best performance from her um during her final flashback scene which i've said before like i cannot watch without crying uh and that included like ripping the audio for this episode <laughs> like i had to like go back and do that and i was just like so weepy um i really love it i think that this episode does have like a little bit of like um you know it 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 benefits from if you can like sort of like if you can i don't know about ignore um if you can like interpret it differently than what some of the characters are trying to tell you about yes. what to think um, because I think that that's very possible and I think serves that it is like be, in better service of the character than some of what the episode is trying to do uh, like Cassidy is really trying to sell this narrative to Kate um, and therefore you know arguably the show is trying to sell this argument that Kate yep. uh, you know only took Aaron and only raised Aaron because she needed a, like a salve to stop the hurt from Sawyer not being there uh, that this is all because of her feelings for Sawyer. Um, And I think... That sucks uh, if that's like, if you accept that as canon, like if you can't get past that, like I totally get like not being thrilled with this at all. I think that the performance and like the declaration of I'm going back to save your daughter to find your daughter feels like the truth to me and Mm -hmm. feels like the real answer and feels like what she's all about and how she's energized and how motherhood has changed her and how parenthood has changed her and what her true priorities are. And I don't think that that has to be independent of. Caring about Sawyer, or like caring about like what that you know what that connection meant, or even still means to her, but it doesn't meet. It doesn't make it the priority. It doesn't mean that's the driver of her story. Um, so I I choose to read whatever happened happened in my way, uh, <laughs> and as a result, it has uh it has landed with me really really hard. Uh, the last few times that I've gone back and, and watched it, this one no exception.
3: I mean, I think like it or hate it. I think we can say that this episode makes the love quadrangle dead and dusted. Yeah. Right. Cause I think what, whatever happened happened has to accomplish is what the ending of LaFleur implies, right? Where it's like, okay, Sawyer has moved on. I don't know if Kate has, what happens when they're back together now, you know, will that tension resolve? And while again, I'm not a fan of the love quadrangle in general, this is almost like a necessary evil to have to go through and really explicitly state in this episode. Nope. Nope. We're done with Sawyer, Kate. We're done with the hints of Jack, Juliet. Like, at least in this reality, we're going to move on to our separate places. So that when we do get, like, the Sawyer and Kate stuff in season six, at least in my opinion, it always came across as more platonic. Uh, And I I do agree that I think the best read from this episode is, you know, Kate don't need no mans. Uh, That she came back to the island. And I do think that maybe this episode, it's a really excellent episode. I think it suffers a bit from the fact that this entire time they're trying to lead you along to the fact that it was Sawyer, and then when they do that surprise reveal of Aaron, while it is impactful, because they had to keep that obscured for the entire episode, it does rob us, I think, of some opportunities to get, you know, Kate's sort of impression as to why she did truly come back. We talked in the last episode, right, about how she was asked, why did you want to come back? And she's interrupted. We don't get much introspection in this moment as to why Kate does what she does. That's actually going to become more of a highlight in season six when squirrel baby Claire ends up being brought back in right now. But I think it's, it's a good, it's a great message to impart onto the character that I am frankly, a little sad. They did not commit to fully. Uh, I mean, even in the, the, you know, the end is going to feature like the big Jack Kate kiss, uh, as sort of the last interaction, which maybe pushes against this idea, a smidge, even if Kate does leave Jack behind, but, I do agree that I think this read makes things substantially better otherwise what could be seen as like a this is another Kate and Sawyer will they won't they episode even if it does mean the end of that relationship from a romantic perspective.
2: Yeah, I think like to the to the Kate and Jack kiss and like uh and like the how much her story ends up being like linked to that even in the end and like the mutual I love you uh in in the final uh the final episode of the whole show um I think it is still worth noting that like in like the sideways stuff like everybody wakes up with like different triggers right like it's the diff- it's a different set of circumstances that like um gets everybody to like kind of like wake up and realize where they are what their life was what meant the most to them and for Kate it's not Jack you know, uh, and frankly, even yeah, for Jack, it's, it's not It's Kate. Aaron
3: being born. It's
2: Aaron being born. So like the show's final statement on Kate and what was like the meaning of her life and what was the most important thing to her uh, is is this child is this boy is his birth is him being brought into the world. Um, so, you know, I think like if you're taking like a lot of like the the surface stuff of this of this episode of like. It's all about Sawyer, man. Um, I I think that the show at least eventually is going to like very clearly refute that, and I think even this episode, when viewed uh, from from uh, you know a certain vantage point, certainly the one that I choose to view it from, uh, I think very much uh, signals that the Kate Austin love story is the is the love she has for this kid. And we should, um, um,
3: we should also say like let's not also put aside the Kate stuff for a second. The titular sort of problem of this episode, I really love, too. It's very simplistic. It almost harkens back, oddly enough, to a season one idea of, this is a central dilemma. How is each individual character going to handle it? Obviously, this is a much, like, larger existential problem when the quandary is, as we talked about last week, okay, you have the opportunity to kill baby Hitler and possibly prevent things. Do you can you? And so I think it's a fun, albeit sometimes frustrating in some cases, character study as to not only how these characters interact to this prospect, but how that is going to inform the end of the season as well. Yeah. Because I think this idea is going to plant a seed in Jack Shepherd that temporarily gets stomped out, but around the events of the variable is definitely going to get watered of what if you can change your fate? You know, mm-hmm. what if you can do something That Their course isn't plotted out for you. You can actually try to change things for the better by manipulating the past. It's obviously going to be the main point of action in the season finale that leads to the titular incident. And I think this whole scenario, even though Jack is essentially wrong in this instance, I could imagine at least put the idea in his head of, okay... I could reasonably set off an atomic bomb to possibly have our plane land in a in a different reality and have us all get off safe and sound.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that that all tracks. Uh, I don't know, man. I I really I'm I'm just I'm I I love I love this one a lot. It's funny. The all of the Hurley and yeah, Miles stuff is really funny. Really great
3: precursor to some like it, Hoth. Because again, these are two guys that like barely talked previously the only interaction we had was hurley musing that oh, oh we already have a sawyer so to have these two guys working off each other especially since um maybe miles's character has changed a bit in the three years intervening as well i know sawyer had a lot of growing up to do maybe miles did as well he's gonna also be set up to play a more important role here we'll talk about it i think the absence of faraday actually does a lot of good for Miles' character, because he essentially has to be the Faraday stand-in for this next portion of time.
2: Yes. All right, let's go forth into the jungle. Let's talk whatever happened, happened. Directed by Bobby Roth. First episode since The Man Behind behind the Curtain. Um, written by Cusin Lindelof. It aired on April 1st, 2009. No <laughs> April joke. April
3: Fool's Baby Ben's not dead.
2: Yes, not yet. Um, we begin at the scene of the crime, though, with Jin waking up in the jungle uh and he you know he's reporting that saeed has gone missing he reports that ben has been uh or he sees that ben has been shot um ben is still alive so immediately we're getting that answer of like okay yeah obviously he's not dead because he's alive in the future
3: yeah exactly though again that's going to be something that they really toy with us here because i think it was a really wise decision to except for the final scene not show anything in 2007 because it does, obviously we know this in hindsight, but it really does open up this possibility on a first watch of, oh my god, wait a minute, could they change things? Are we on a branching path right now where Ben Linus doesn't exist when we flash to 2007? It at least dangles that prospect in front of our faces before they decide to commit with whatever happened, happened, put him inside the temple, and then we say, yes, to Miles' point, this was all part of his history.
2: Yes uh so when we go to the barracks it is just like fiery pandemonium In the aftermath of that and horace is tweaking out
3: <laughs> yeah horace is having like a little bit of powwow right like all oh, hands on deck we got to do this and jack you know what jack had one job just be cool keep your head down don't draw any attention to yourself but of course despite jack trying to try on this suit of like no i'll let sawyer do the talking he's got to be like uh Uh, Do you think that's such a good idea? And they're like, What's your name, sir? Just just want to take your name down. Who are you?
2: Because, like, uh, you probably are now really on my radar, and that might be bad for your time travel cover. This is not a great Jack episode. Um, I think it's important for his character arc. Like, I think it's for his character arc. So it's not like I'm saying it's a bad episode for Jack at that uh, standpoint. But I think, like, um, Jack doing some things that, like, I don't know. I don't know that I would do some of the things that Jack's doing here and frankly in some of the immediate aftermath of this episode.
3: Yeah, so that's the thing is I think we've we've gotten a lot of arguments, specifically from the great Ben Behind the Curtain, about how to your point, like you can I can appreciate this jack in this episode but as i say a lot with some of these episodes i can appreciate it but i can't enjoy it i appreciate where this isn't a stop a step in jack's character let's remember like this is maybe the most we see of jack post 316 yeah where i think he's tried what it is it's it's jack trying out her new hairstyle uh yes. quite literally he was great he tried to be in this like fix it mr fix it mode Didn't necessarily work. Now he's trying this new lock like method, albeit with a lot more hair. And what he's going to realize in this episode is that doesn't really work either. And I think it's incredibly important because you talk about this all the time, right? With like the man of science, man of faith duality. Both characters sort of end up somewhere in between, especially Jack by the end of it, where yes, he is going to move forward. He is going to drink the water and become protector of the island for a hot second. But he's not exactly going to be the Jack he is in this episode of, like, let me completely abdicate control to the island. The island will do all, all trust in the island. And so from that perspective, I think that Jack, it doesn't exactly fit Jack completely well. I think he swung too far in the other direction. Not to mention, whether or not you agree or disagree with the approach he's taking, he is an a-hole in this episode, plain and simple. It's it's one thing to refuse the pleas to operate on Baby Ben Linus for your own ideals. It's another thing to act like a jerk about it. And in my opinion, he kind of acts like a jerk this episode. A
2: little bit. A little bit. I think that's right. Um, this is all going to be uh, interrupted when, when Roger and Kate are going to have a moment because they're both part of, like, uh, they're, they're dealing with, like, the... She's part of the motor pool at this point, right? And and Roger <laughs> yep. is the workman, and uh, he's like, so they just like stuck you in a random job. He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. It's what happened to me.
3: It's like, yeah. Nah. So I mean, we'll get to it later. I think th- I think we can appropriately slot Kate Austin 1977 version in our Kate Austin pseudonym thing again. Kate is not great, surprisingly, at selling her cover here, but I guess she lucks out in the form of Roger Linus who. It's probably going to have his most sympathetic episode ever. Uh, and so he, he, she found the right person that he's like, yeah, listen, I'm in the same boat as you. Wasted potential. I'm just sweeping up messes when I could go on and do great things. So I think of all the people in Dharmaville to catch her out, it being Roger Linus, I think, worked out the best for her.
2: I think that's probably right. Um, she does like... and <laughs> Lost does this. We've talked about this before. Uh, what's your name? I'm Kate. What's yours? I'm Roger. Roger Linus. Uh, let me just be very clear to to, to just like say again, Linus. Uh, you know, yeah. Ben, Ben Linus, I'm his
3: father. And this is a great Kate and Juliet episode. They both have great poker faces. We experienced this with Juliet a couple episodes ago when it's like, oh, I want to name the baby Ethan. And when Kate hears Roger Linus, she just gives the complete poker face, right? She's not doing the Saeed like, oh, but but, what? Uh, She does a really great job of just holding composure while inside being like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, it's Roger Linus.
2: Yeah, it's really funny um so then Jin shows up with ben and this is when roger starts falling apart
3: that's my kid yeah i I love his delivery of that's my kid specifically d-a-s-s my kid
2: yeah uh so we go to our first flashback of the episode it is the kate flashback and kate pulls up to a house uh with little baby aaron in the back seat a sweet little turnip head back in, like, sort of, like, the classic turnip head mode. Um, (laughs) And she's, you know, uh, cradling him and walking to the door. She's singing Catch a Falling Star, uh, which is very, very sweet. I was trying to remember, is there a moment where Kate learned that song? I was going to
3: ask the same thing. So, I believe in maternity leave is, I think, so I can't remember if if Claire brings it up in the present during maternity leave. It's so
2: easy to imagine, like, an uh, off-episode scene, like, an off-screen scene where, like, uh, Claire is just, like, singing this to, to Aaron, and, like, this is, like, pervasively known throughout the yeah well, you know? I
3: think, or at least the ones who babysit Aaron, right? Like, Sun knows it backwards and forwards considering how many times she had to take care of that kid in seasons two and three. Kate, you have to imagine so as well, back when she was Claire's biffle. So, yeah, I can imagine that even if we didn't see this on screen, it was at least extraneous information that Kate would have known on. And it's also a sign of, like... You know, Kate, this episode is really going to highlight that we saw a bit of this in There's No Place Like Home, right? The image of Claire pops up in Aaron's room according to Kate's vision. We talked about how I think that's more of a manifestation of her guilt that she feels like Aaron is not hers, and that is really going to come to the forefront and serve as a large reason as to why she does go back. And so I think her entering this scene singing the song shows at least where she is right now, which is like maybe trying to put that denial in the corner and more so focusing on like, okay, I'm his mother. I'm like Claire. I'm singing the song I'm supposed to. This is fine. This is working.
2: Yeah. Uh, it is working, though. It's working here with, uh, with Kate and Aaron, because Aaron is clearly, you know, normally uh, uh, someone other than Claire has Aaron, and uh, Aaron's just freaking out unless it's Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here with Kate, He's fine. Uh, maybe, little baby well, maybe, it's,
3: maybe it's because he's interacting with someone who interacted with Sawyer, right? Is there, like Sawyer, He smells Sawyer blood in the area like a shark. And he's yes. like, oh, that'll calm me down.
2: Yes. Uh, so here uh, here comes Cassidy. Uh, Cassidy opens the door. There is an immediate like, oh, my God, I know you. Oh, my God, oh, you. it's you. Oh, my God. Because Let's remember, they
3: had like a chance encounter of a couple of days yes. several years back.
2: Yes, uh back and left behind where we got to see the two of them together. So, uh just a what a kawinky dink. Uh as Cass is like, "Oh my god, you survived the plane crash. It's so amazing. I told my all my friends, I know her. I know that person. I know that fugitive." Uh I know her. Um so she said, "What are you doing here?" And Kate goes, "Sawyer sent me." And it leads to this following exchange between Kate and Cassidy. Sound number one.
4: Sawyer. So that son of a bitch is still alive?
0: He was when I left. And he asked you to come here and give me an envelope full of money. Well, he, he told me where to find you and said to take care of Clementine, his daughter... Well, she's asleep in her crib right now. Want me to wake her up? I, uh, shouldn't have bothered you. I could have sent it, and I probably should Why have. did
4: you tell me all this?
0: Why'd you trust me? Because I thought your daughter had a right to know that her father cared. Why didn't he come back with the rest of you? The helicopter that we were on was running out of gas, so... He jumped so that we could make it to the boat
5: (sighs) What a coward
0: He was trying to do the right thing He was trying to get away from you
5: I told him he had a daughter He never so much as lifted a finger to try to call her
4: So now I'm supposed to think he's a hero Because he told you to come here and help us Hell, I bet this money's not even his, is it?
0: They gave us a settlement after the crash, and I didn't need it You don't have
5: to explain it, Kate.
0: You got the same look on your face I did when he ditched me.
5: All I have for you is sympathy. Is it his? What? Your son. Is it Sawyer's?
0: No. No, I was pregnant before I met him. That's not your baby, is it? Kate, you just told me that you and your friends cooked a story for the whole world about what happened on that island. So you tell me the truth about that? Why are you lying to me about him? because I have
3: to. So not the best look for Cassidy.
2: Mm, well she's obviously like feeling really raw about the Sawyer thing still. Uh, like, right. You know, she she, you know, lives with a reminder of Sawyer every single day. Uh, she had a child with Sawyer. Um, you know, Sawyer really messed her up by uh, doing like that double bluff Uh, of it was a con the whole time but i do love you and then like immediately being like nope it's still a con uh and uh you know she visited him and she threw you she put him in jail like it's a very charged long relationship that the two of them had uh together even when they were weren't with each other um so i think for cassidy like i'm sure that like i'm sure that sawyer is very very fresh on on the mind for yeah. for her uh, as she's uh, as she's getting kate back into into her life
3: yeah, let me let me clarify here. Like, I absolutely understand where mm-hmm. she's coming from. Like, subjectively, everything that she knows of Sawyer up to this point would lead her to assume, like, that son of a bitch hasn't changed in years. Who's to say? And that's sort of the Kate approach in this episode, too, right? She's very surprised when Sawyer says, I grew up in these three years. Because from her and Cassidy's perspective, this is a man that, much like Peter Pan, will never grow up. I just think it's, it's tough for us Considering the Sawyer we know yeah. and everything we've seen of him, you know it's this thing where you're like, no, but he has changed, please, Cassidy. But again, I completely understand her perspective, except for when she asks if the baby is is Sawyer's. That makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, uh, unless they got together pre Island. Kate's only been missing for like what two, three months.
2: Right. Yeah, but I mean she might not, you know, know the full story of like the timing and everything, you know. Um like she's it's not like she's necessarily like an Oceanic 6 devotee. Uh, yeah, true, but
3: she was pointing at the news screen saying, "Hey, they're back. They're back." So I don't know, it's it's odd timing. There's a really interesting line from Kate that I picked out on this rewatch that I think also substantiates a bit as to like why she does go forward with this. Because, again, this is Cassidy. Cassidy does legitimately ask Kate, why the hell did you listen to Sawyer and go through with this? Kate says, I thought your daughter had a right to know that her father cared. Yeah. Which is, like, very unique to Kate's character. That's really baked in that, listen, all the best cowboys have daddy issues, and Kate is amongst the best cowboys in that regard. Not only did we see that she had a stronger yet still kind of strange relationship with her dad right where like her dad supported her but wasn't exactly able to support everything that she did and let's just leave what happened with wayne left unsaid right kate kate has some daddy issues in that regard and i do think there's this opportunity to be like well you know i want to give this child the opportunity that i myself was robbed of. I can imagine that at least there was a little bit of personal projection in her decision to approach Cassidy here.
2: Yeah, I think that that's probably there. But I also think that, like, through Cassidy, this is somebody who maybe she is choosing. Like, I can maybe be a little more honest around her than I've been with the well, rest of the world well, yeah
3: she she outs the entire lie to cassidy
2: yeah you know like i think that like they've uh like i think it's like this combination of like they'd been through it before like she had her back once upon a time um so like they have that shared history of like running a con together basically but also like the island destiny thing of like it's 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 impossible to ignore that we both know Sawyer. You know, it's impossible to ignore that we both have this same person like at the, at the center of our vortex. Like if anyone's going to understand, it might be you. Um, and I think also like, is it a risky thing to do? Could Cassidy just turn around and blow this up? For sure. Uh, it's definitely on there. But I think oftentimes when you are in like, uh in danger anyway or uh you know behaving dangerously or behaving uh you know in a risky manner i think you can often do like risky things that will expose you to being uh yeah. to being uh caught or the thing blowing up uh, i think that there's probably like some subconscious stuff that's going on here with kate uh that makes this whole interaction and i know for some people it's, it maybe doesn't like land super well like why is kate all of a sudden like uh, like sharing the Oceanic Six secret with an outsider and this person who she really barely knows of all people. Uh, I think it, I think it plays. I think it, uh, I think it lands for me. Um, like I don't have any real questions about why she goes to Cassidy and is as honest with Cassidy as she is.
3: Well, wait, I think we have to also remember how lonely Kate is outside of the Oceanic Six because let's remember, you know, dad is deployed, probably doing something else. Another, let's leave also the thing with her mom left unsaid. You know, obviously you had people like Tom who were close in her life, who's now dead. I mean, she spent so much time There's on the, the legally and
2: murky stuff. She's not on trial yet because that's going to happen when no. uh, Aaron's a little older.
3: Yeah, exactly. And that's also post everything, something nice back home, which yeah. I believe this takes place. Well, this is going to take place during that, right? Because this yes. is where she's on the phone with Cassidy. And, you know, this is going to be Jack being like, where were you? Uh, and so that's what all this, that's also going to fall apart for her. So I, I think she was really looking for that person outside of the Oceanic Six to confide in. And so I think it makes sense that even though it's this random person from Kate's life, she doesn't necessarily have that many people. So I guess it, it does make sense from that perspective, uh, and so yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit of an odd moment again. Also, a reference to like you know season three. We didn't see a lot of Cassidy in season four. Maybe we would have uh, if we got you know some more flashback stuff, if or flash forward stuff, if season four was expanded. But really interesting perspective from Cassidy that I think is going to set up at least plant a seed in Kate's mind, right? Of like okay you know why am why did i take aaron you know i did it just because he was handed it to me on the chopper uh and i just sort of ended up escaping with the baby but like why am i going through with this whole lie about why i was pregnant
2: yeah i think like the power of suggestion is is very uh it's it's a powerful thing uh and like the like uh you know having Having someone's truth become, like, projected onto you and, like, having that glom on, I think, like, that can happen uh, to people in uh, in any uh, level of stress, whether it is no stress or distress. Yeah. Uh, and I think Kate Kate is certainly in distress. And so, I think, like, a lot of what's going on with her and what's going on with Cassidy, I think... I I read it as a lot of this stuff is sort of like intermingling, um, and I I think that that's a, that's a compelling story, uh, even if it's not necessarily the story that's like being told on the show. Like I think that there's a way to read it that way. Um, back on the island, uh, Sawyer is watching security footage to see what the hell happened to Ben. And Kate shows up. She's like, that kid was Ben. That's Ben Linus. And Sawyer's so like, get out of here! What are you yeah, doing? You don't I just did. waltz into here. I'm. In, this is
3: not good. Yeah, Kate and Jack are both operating under like, well, if we're in crisis, I guess we can sort of just like drop the guises and start acting like the way that we do. And good on Sawyer, again, for sort of covering up as soon as the security team comes in. Is like, oh, yeah, she's in the motor pool. Obviously, everything happened with the van. I was asking her to see if she knew anything. And they don't really give her a second glance because they have other fish to fry. But yeah, again, not not a great way to maintain cover from the uh, from the fugitive used to maintaining cover a lot.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC.
6: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
3: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
6: Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over, by
3: law, 18 plus, and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: So, at the same time that this is going down, a bunch of the DI will show up. Horace comes in, Miles and Jin are there, Phil is there. Uh, they're like, what's she doing here? And so I says, I was interviewing her. She's part of the motor pool. Uh, get out of here. Scram. So, she scrams. Um, so, this is where we find out that someone had sprung Saeed. Uh, there was uh, janitor keys were, were used here. So, there's really only a few people that this could have been, uh, whether that's Roger, someone named Willie, uh, and of course, Dr. Shepard, who just identified himself as a person <laughs> of interest.
3: I personally, though, think it was Willie. I think they really left Willie off the table when this guy sounds like a person of interest.
2: I said last,
3: not lost." Do you want
2: to get sued? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. But,
3: hey, oh, my God. I'm, yeah, it's Groundskeeper Willie. likes. I do, do anything. And, uh,
2: Desmond? Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, Sawyer's obviously concerned. This is not great that Jack is on people's radar. So he's going to have Miles... Um, round up uh round up the posse uh, like hold them down while this is all like supercharged like we don't want them wandering around uh in case uh they break something they're an Eggtown, baby uh we do not want to go to shell um i think it's around this time that roger shows up and his mm-hmm. his keys are missing He's like, oh yeah i must have left him in the house And it's like okay well this really lines up with baby benjamin linus uh that he must have taken those keys
3: yeah, exactly. Cuz Sawyer's Roger's going to be frazzled outside of the infirmary. Say what you want to about, you know, the way Roger treated Ben before. He does seem legitimately shocked, not shot about mm-hmm. his son being shot. And so this is when Sawyer's going to go, you know, meet with Juliet while she's in the middle of surgery and basically be like, uh Hey, 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 Roger, uh, give me your keys for some reason. And Roger falls for the trap, right? It's like, uh, oh, must have forgot them at home. And Slayer's so like, all right, well, I thought I was going to narrow it down, but I fingered the target yeah. right here. Yeah,
2: bingo, bongo, boom. That's the guy. Um, Juliet is doing the surgery on Ben. It's not going great. She needs a real surgeon. It is a little weird that the Darm Initiative does not really seem to have that still. Uh... Well, the
3: doctor is in the looking glass until Friday. So it just seems like they're really unlucky in that, like, whenever a big medical situation comes into play, Juliet's like always the, you know, second string doctor. She's more of a motor pool person. But because a doctor always seems to be apparently on vacation at the time or off island, she has to fill in in these situations. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh so she's gonna need some help. Good thing we've got somebody who just time traveled back to the Dharma Initiative who might be able to assist mm-hmm, about that. Mm-hmm. Um so Miles has the whole group rounded up at the house. Uh Jack's like, Why are we just being sequestered here? And Miles' like, it's Sawyer doing his job, just let the guy do his thing. Meanwhile, Hurley is sitting at the table just staring at his hand uh, and I mean Miles, it is the,
3: it is the <laughs> 70s after all like I he might guess. have partook in something
2: uh, Miles has some questions about that let's listen in sound two. what
4: the hell are you doing what? Tubby? checking to see if I'm disappearing
6: what? back to the future man we came back in time to the island and changed stuff so if little Ben dies he'll never grow up to be Big Ben who's the one who made us come back here in the first place which means we can't be here and therefore dude we don't exist you're an idiot am i yeah
4: it doesn't work like that you can't change anything your maniac iraqi buddy shot linus that is what always happened it's just we never experienced how it all turns out It was
6: really confusing
4: yeah well get used to it But the good news is that Linus didn't die. So that means the kid can't either. He'll be fine.
0: Didn't look like he was going to be fine. What if you're wrong?
4: Well, if I'm wrong, then I guess we all stop existing and none of it matters anyway, then, does it?
3: incredible explanation
2: yeah um i think that miles's explanation here is better than the explanation he's going to give later <laughs> to be honest the explanation he gives later like it, he really could have used a faraday here to like uh simplify the the metaphors a little yeah, bit he, better he needs
3: some sort of example no because i agree i think that i actually will disagree here with hurley uh i think that the way miles explains it here is not confusing at all i think yeah. it's very straightforward of like yes we may be back in time but this is our own personal timeline that we haven't experienced yet. So, like, we're still living it out. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not that we are now, like, you know, we could change everything uh, because then for and therefore preventing our own existence. We've always gone back in time. Uh, it's just that we have not experienced that yet. Yeah. How do you
2: explain this in a way that is, like, really clean and easy to follow? It is a tricky question, you know? How do you, like, do tell totally, her, like, uh, so... Uh, we we've traveled back in time and we're still alive. This is our present. If anything happens to us here, that's the end of our lives. But what you experienced back in 2004 on the island was built on the history of whatever we're doing here in the 70s. Yeah, uh, I, I think
3: a really clear cut example, actually, you could do is like take I don't know, take like a a, a chocolate bar uh, and from Hurley's you know perspective, divide it into three parts. And say, okay, this represents your life. This represents your life's timeline. We're just going to take this last end and shift it back to in front of section one. You know, your timeline hasn't changed. This is still your timeline from life until death. It's just that the last section chronologically takes place in a different time than it did the other times.
2: It's so hard. It's so confusing. (laughs) like the candy theory is the best i think i like the, i like the candy vibe uh but it is still hard to like figure out and especially like they're all like going through this right now i think one thing that i love about this is like Earlier in the season, it's Sawyer and Miles and everyone who are totally confused about what's going on. And now that three years have passed from all of that, like, Miles and Sawyer and Juliet, if not are the experts on this, they're certainly, like, used to it by now. Yeah. Uh, So, like, the confidence with which Miles uh, articulates what's going on to the group, uh, I think, is, uh, is, is a really great character note.
3: Yeah, I think, and that's why I think, like, their impetus in this episode is not necessarily, like, Oh, my God! We have to prevent Ben from dying because that's what always is supposed to happen. It's like, no, we just need to like keep our cover because we could die, and then if we die, it's not like we can't die because we've already been in two thousand and four right like this could be the end of our timeline as we know it, so we're more so looking out for ourselves and our own cover than it's like preserving the timeline in a manner of speaking so. Do you feel the lack of Faraday here, though? Because, I again, I mentioned it before. I like how Miles is serving as a conduit here. It does still feel a little strange that Faraday is absent after he has sort of imparted this knowledge onto everybody.
2: Yeah, maybe to some extent. Um, but I think that if you have Faraday back, I think that lessens the impact of his return. I think one of the powerful things about his return is that it's so short-lived uh, mm. that he he comes back. And it's like, oh, uh, just when I was, like, thinking that he would, like, really be here, it uh, turns out that he's just here for, like, another five seconds. So, I think, like, it, it, his his later return just adds to the urgency of, like, the final portion of the season that I feel like you kind of, you almost benefit from Hurley being, like, confused here because the viewer probably is as well. So, like, if Faraday is here, he probably, like, tightens this up for Hurley pretty quickly Miles <laughs> is not supremely qualified to do that. So, like, you get yeah. to still have this tension here.
3: Well, it also doesn't help that I think Hurley is taking the back-to-the-future route of time travel instead of the Bill and Ted route, which the Back to the Future route is is this idea of, like, branching timelines, right? String theory of, okay, if I change the past, and that means the future will change. Bill and Ted was more so like, no, whatever happened happened, you go back in time, and you're the one to put the garbage can, you know, to fall on uh, Ted's stick up the ass dad cop at the end of it because you were the one to do it in the first place right Uh, it's more so you making the causality as opposed to like you causing something that makes it spin off in a completely other direction so i can understand there's a lot of different theories of time travel that come in through pop culture i think hurley was looking at the wrong lens here
2: i think so too um all right so sawyer bursts in it's what we heard at the top of the podcast uh the kid needs help uh he's springing a leak we need to know where he sprung it from i uh,
3: love that despite not working in the motor pool so it refers to ben as basically a car Of like yes. oh, i sprung a leak we don't know how to patch up the oil here
2: yeah uh but jack says no not gonna do it if that kid's gonna die then he dies uh very ivan drago of him If he dies <laughs> he dies uh so that's where we cut to commercial when we come back we're gonna have kate really uh exploring this with jack of like what are you gonna do let this kid just uh die here and he's gonna have his own philosophy on it let's listen in on this one
3: sound number three let me just quickly say uh, apollo bar creed Mm
1: -hmm. what are you doing making some sandwiches figured everybody'd be getting hungry by now
0: he's just a boy jack you can't just let him die
1: you heard miles we can't change what's already happened this has nothing to do with me
0: unless you're the one that's supposed to save him
1: 30 years from now that boy's going to be a man that locks me in a cage because he needs surgery and then you're going to come in and you're going to beg me to operate on him because he's threatening to murder sawyer i've already done this once i've already saved benjamin linus and i did it for you kate I don't need to do it again
0: This is our fault We brought Saeed back We caused this
1: You know When we were here before I spent all of my time Trying to fix things But Did you ever think That maybe the island Just wants to fix things itself That maybe I was just Getting in the way
0: You know I don't like the new you I liked the old you who wouldn't just sit around and wait for things to happen.
1: (sighs) You didn't like the old me, Kate.
3: She did.
2: She She did. did. She did like the old you. I'm very happy in this scene Uh, Because I I remember being very concerned about this on the first watch, that um, with Benjamin Linus uh, as a child shot, who was going to make the sandwiches? Uh, (laughs) And so Jack has taken on that job at the start of this scene
3: yeah exactly he is now is that maybe his workman job he feels yeah. like all right well roger's son made the someone's got to make
2: sandwiches i'm not gonna be able to get the chicken salad as good as little ben got the chicken salad but i'll i mean i'll try I'll
3: yeah did we did we, we observe what, what sandwiches jack was making
2: no i didn't i didn't i can only assume it's chicken salad it seems like the only sandwich they've got <laughs> yeah, so the only on like canned
3: stock that they have yeah, going going back to to what we just said after the clip like she did though she liked the old jack the problem with old jack was old Jack fell into old habits, got concerned that Kate was, like, seeing someone else, and went down this rabbit hole where he essentially pushed her away, and Aaron by proxy. Yeah, I think that, um,
2: the, the problem, Jack is a very tortured guy, and I think, like, he comes to the island this time with some openness to just, like, to do what he is meant to do here. And so he doesn't feel like this is what he's meant to do. So he's not going to do it. And there are ways in which like when he does act, he's going to get them into some measure of trouble because he's going to be uh, like his actions help incite the incident. Um, but that is very much whatever happened, happened territory. Like that is what he's supposed to do. So he's right, even though it's tragic. And I think that that's going to burn him for a little while in season six. And he's going to feel like Juliet's death is on his hands, which kind of is, but it's always on his hands. And like, you got to be able to like live with life as it lies to a certain extent, uh, I think is part of the lesson with this character here. It's hard to find like the right answer with Jack in this moment. But I just think it's fascinating that uh, Kate was put in a cage by Benjamin Linus uh and she wants this kid to live. Juliet went through everything she went through with Benjamin Linus she wants this kid to live. Sawyer was in the cage too. He saw what he did to those bunnies. So, so uh, Sawyer
3: was like had his life albeit falsely but still threatened over the course of an episode by Benjamin Linus. Uh but Jack who like made like some relative truce with
2: uh with Ben at one point in time uh is not going to is not going to assist here. Uh so I just I do find it I do find it fascinating that he just sort of like refuses to budge on on this one. I think that hmm. there is still a degree to which uh Jack is living in that like self-wallowing space and I think like yes. as he's trying to do the John Locke thing, it's like what would John Locke do right now? You know what John Locke would do? Whatever he wants. Uh, And what I want to do today is sit in this barrack, eat a sandwich, take a shower. That's about it. I do not want to do surgery today.
3: So that's the thing, is that, like, I think Jack's thinking about it from that perspective is correct. If he's like, well, if whatever happened happened, if I don't do surgery on him, then I wasn't the one to do surgery on him. It's fine. It'll turn out fine. He's going to be alive anyway. So I don't need to necessarily worry about that. The island will fix itself, as he says. But as I mentioned before, I think the way he goes about expressing that is not the best. Yeah. Right? Like you said, he's invoking like, well, I already saved Ben's life once before for you. I'm not going to do it again. Like, I don't, I don't like him putting that blame onto Kate. That feels really unfair Yeah, uh, that he's just like, well, I only went through that whole thing of cutting the artery and, you know, holding his life at stake because I wanted to save you and Sawyer. And, oh, you got your one chance. You're not going to get it back again. It felt like he was dangling something in front of her. And from that perspective, I think you could still feel a lot of the frustration and maybe overall vitriol that they still have between the two of them from something nice back home or even from like the stuff that happened with three one six, right? You could, this is only a couple days after the events of three one six. So you can imagine that Jack's maybe a little T. O'd at, uh, what Kate did of sleeping with him, but then like barely acknowledging him the next day and then leaving. So there's a lot of frustration he's getting out here. And I feel like it's a bit unfairly directed towards Kate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As it
2: often is with Jack, I think, uh, this is not anything new, uh, by any stretch um kate's not thrilled though she's going to go to juliet she's going to offer to give some blood she's a universal donor this would have come in handy for for boone as well so she and jack really could have switched spots back then uh when aaron was born and boone died um uh, i don't know the, like, do, you,
3: do you do you think that's true though like they didn't test her blood or anything or do you think that was just an excuse to get her in the door
2: i have no idea i'm talking out of my butt um juliet's like where's jack why isn't he why isn't he helping? And this is where it comes up where it's like, did something happen between you guys off the aisle? Like, well, if you consider we got engaged, something happening between the two of us, then yeah, something happened.
3: And then Juliet has that reaction again, necessary, but we're we're ending the love quadrangle. We have to cut to Juliet looking like uncomfortable at the revelation that they were together.
2: Right. Because uh, it's just like, man, it's so weird. Like this is all very incestual. Um Roger Linus is going to show up uh, wanting to know what's going on here. Um, I think an important scene for us to, to pick apart, so let's listen in sound number four. What's going on?
5: Roger, I asked you to wait outside. No, what's going on with my kid? Kate is giving us some fresh blood so we can transfuse Ben.
1: Well, I'm not waiting outside.
5: You know, he could stay with me. Then you could
0: check on Ben, and, and Roger here could keep me company, make sure I don't pass out.
5: Okay. Roger, have a seat. Thanks. Sure. You stole my keys. Sorry?
4: The floor asked me where my keys were. That bastard doesn't ask any questions he doesn't know the answers to. Which means my son stole my
1: key so he could bust that animal out of jail.
0: Why? Why would he do that?
1: Because of me. You got kids?
0: No.
1: I thought I was going to be the greatest father ever. it didn't work out that way
0: what about his mother is she still around
1: oh she's dead she died the day he was born
5: sorry Okay, I'll meet you
1: I tried to do what I thought she'd want me to do but
3: I guess a boy just needs his mother I have so many thoughts. I have so many thoughts, especially as... I mean, this is my first time watching this scene as a father, so... Yeah,
2: so let's turn the table over to you, Mike. Talk us through it.
3: It's tough, because there is at least a part of you, right, that's like, okay, there is some regret on behalf of Roger Linus, right? Like, he is reconciling the fact that I pushed Ben away. Clearly, he's starting to put two and two together, that Ben was in league with some of the hostiles... With the enemy, and at least it's realizing that he's um, it's his own behavior, and I appreciate that. And of course, I really you know associate with this notion of like, you know, I just want to be the best father I can be. However, however, most of the sympathy are garnered for Roger Linus in this scene completely erodes to me in the invoking of his wife and him saying I was doing this, doing what I thought she would do. I guess. A boy just needs his mother. I I really dislike that. I really, really yeah. dislike that.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that's not great. And I think also it's hard to, like, feel too sympathetic for him so quickly after having watched him smash his kid's face into a jail cell.
3: Exactly. And, like, yeah, like... You could be like, like yeah, I'm, I can't I'm, I'm sorry. T- I can't
2: get past that.
3: Yeah. Right. You like, know? oh, I'm, I am feel so bad for being, being physically and emotionally abusive to my son. That's great. That's not going to erase years of what you did to this yeah. kid. And then for him to sort of, again, like, excuse it away of like, well, I only did what, you know, I thought Annie would do. I'm sorry. Carrie Preston. Like, I do not think she would say, Oh yeah, you better slap the boy around a couple times. You know, really dig into him. I think he that I think that little shit really deserves it. And I I don't know, I personally bristle with the idea of, I guess a boy just needs his mother, because I do look, there are single fathers out there who are killing it each and every day. I have all the power in the world to all the mothers out there. There's a really great important emphasis on mothers in this episode. But I feel like he is like. Writing himself off, I being like, Well, I did the best I could do. You know, a boy really needs his mother that's that's the the reason why things failed is because like I needed another person to help with this. It would have helped, but like, dude, you could've done an okay job on your own if you weren't a dick to be co- yeah. quite candid
2: yeah i mean there's a there's a lot that goes on that leads i think to to Roger not doing right by his kid, and there's a lot of tragic circumstance uh in you know. The birth of Ben, the loss of his wife, like all of that, coming to the island, trying to build something better, it not going the way that he wanted it to. Um, like you can you can garner a lot of empathy for the guy and then like it's all gone when you like watch the way that he's verbally abusive towards this kid or the way he literally throws him around. Um, like that stuff's just there's no excuse for it. There's just no excuse for it at all, even if he's upset in this moment. Um, I think that it it's you know he's like obviously a very, very, very broken and flawed character. Um, I think that there are a lot of broken and flawed characters on the show who do terrible things who we probably like more. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, Saeed Jura, who yeah. shoots this kid, uh, and we're still, uh, you know, going to like bend over backwards to talk about why we love Saeed Jura. Um With Roger Linus, I think like because he is an important fixture in the Benjamin Linus story, and therefore in Lost, but is more um uh he's almost more a plot device than he is a character uh like his the way that he treated ben uh strongly leads to why ben becomes who he becomes i think it then becomes difficult to like in these attempts to like humanize him um I think that that stuff is is challenging. I think that stuff yeah. is challenging for me as a viewer to like get on board with Roger in this moment so soon after what we saw him do but just even in just like the greater context of his story.
3: Well, the issue too is that when it comes to that redemption, it takes time. I mean, let's look at Sawyer as an example, like Yes, the audience eventually comes around on him, but he was such a dirtbag in season one. Look no further than those LVP points, and now look at him being the current MVP leader in the clubhouse, but that was due to seasons and seasons and episodes and episodes of character work being done. We can't turn that knob from hot to cold, uh, from from Roger Linus doing these incredibly terrible things and then being like, I'm sorry, like, this this is just where I came from. Like, I admit I did a shitty job. Like, yeah, that's fine. But again, it's a lot easier to maybe excuse or maybe obscure some people's previous nefarious actions when you have a lot of other stuff balanced to it. That's the thing about Saeed, is that he did these objectively terrible things, but, like, he's so full of depth and so warm sometimes as a character that it certainly balances the scales a little bit. What we did with Roger Linus is we place a 10-ton weight on one side, and then we put, like, a P on the other end. That serves as this scene in the episode, and we're like, all right, let's try to balance the scales. That scale is far from balanced.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, so after this confession... Ben goes into shock from being shot, not shocked. Uh, we go back to the house with Hurley and Miles. It's worth listening, even though I do think that the first one is uh, the better explanation. But I like listening to Miles, like, get so <laughs> exasperated with trying to tell Hurley about time travel. And then Hurley stumping Miles. Uh, so let's listen to sound number
6: five. Let me get this straight. All this already happened. yes. So, this conversation we're having right now, we already had it. Yes. Then what am I going to say next? I don't know. Ha! Then your theory is wrong. For the thousandth time you dingbat. The conversation
4: already happened, but not for you and me. For you and me, it's happening right
6: now. Okay, answer me this. If all this already happened to me, then why don't I remember any of it? Because
4: once Ben turned that wheel, time isn't a straight line for us anymore. Our experiences in the past and the future occurred before these experiences right now. Say that again? Shoot me. Please,
6: please. Uh Aha, I can't shoot you because if you die in 1977, then you'll never come back to the island on the freighter 30 years from now. I can die because I've already come to the island on the freighter. Any of us can die because this is our present. You said Ben couldn't die because he still has to grow up and become the leader of the others. Because this is his past. But when we first captured Ben and Saeed, like, tortured him. Then why wouldn't he remember getting shot by that same guy when he was a kid?
4: Huh. I hadn't thought of that. Huh.
3: This is why the first watch of this episode is is so much fun, because we're we're sort of, like, along for the ride in that regard, right, in the Dharma van. We're like, okay, whatever happened happened, Miles is right, clearly, like, Ben's gonna be alive. But wait, Hurley brings up a good point. Obviously, we, again, we know in retrospect that no, Ben's gonna get, you know, rescued and perverted, uh, in a way to, be, and so, and we'll also get like a cop out as to why he doesn't remember Saeed, is because he's gonna forget about everything, uh, when he gets taken to the temple. But in the moment you're like, oh my God, wait, Hurley is right. Like this episode does a really great job of, while I think the tension in He's Our You was much more ratcheted, there is certainly some tension here as to like, Wait, could they change the timeline? No, they can't. Wait, can they?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is... Here we go. Uh, Drink if you had it within an hour. Uh, This is why I think the nuclear option works better. <laughs> uh because like if you if we if we haven't watched life and death of jeremy bentham at this point um you know we it's been a minute since we've checked in on uh i guess na- namaste does does have ben right stuff so in so
3: unless we're saying like okay it's mm-hmm. gonna end with been dying it's like ben you know lying in the bed and then disappearing
2: yeah sure 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 yeah fair enough but i i think that the end of the episode will will speak to that better but i think that like being away from that stuff and being like mostly localized in the 70s here i think is beneficial towards that stuff uh because like we do totally know that Ben is going to make it unless like we're going to hop back and we i guess that this is like the question that you have in this moment though is like could we go back to 2007 in an upcoming episode and that episode is now dealing with like Ben back to the futureing out of existence um, is like a is like a frightening prospect to consider for sure. And like in like the the pantheon of what ifs and coulda shoulda woulda's uh, for Lost, it's at least it's a fun one to consider. I mean, it's a totally different show if whatever happened does not necessarily happen.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it'd be amazing if this episode ends with them somehow traveling forward to 2007 and they're like, "Oh, son, Jin, thank God we're back together. Where's Ben?" Who's Ben? And then it's just like lost. And then you really think about like, okay, so then he's been completely removed. What happens from that perspective? But again, it's it's confounding in this moment. I also like really. I laughed out loud at the moment where Miles asked Hurley to shoot him because I I person my personal read is that it's less so about Miles saying I'm here to prove a point and more so just kill me right yeah. now please yes. just kill Correct. me i'm done with this
2: yes yes uh the exasperation is so real um i i really love the hurley and miles relationship we don't get nearly enough of it what we do Mm-mm. get of it is very funny uh so it's here and some like at hoth i think that they're really really great together
3: yeah i i agree it's, it's a nice little like comic c plot i would say and also a great again uh, we've said this many times before, Hurley is often the window into the audience, so I think, as you have mentioned before, him sort of speaking on behalf of a lot of losties at the time is also great, because this is the first time I think we've really had that type of character sit down and talk through the time travel aspects, and again, there's more to come in some like at Hoth, but it's nice to bring in that perspective, which has been sorely missed this entire season.
2: Yeah, uh, I do think, like, Miles being, like, when Roy says, so this conversation already happened, Miles was like, yeah, like, that, like, you shouldn't be so excited, that, like, you can, you gotta clarify that, like, uh, it's like, yeah, but, you know, it did, but not for you and me, like, it's happening now, but this happens in 1970, so in 2004, when you're there, it hadn't happened yet.
3: Right, exactly, it's like, if someone's in a history book transcribing our conversation, it will be there, but right now we're living through the transcription, and we don't know the next line in the scene.
2: I just love that. Then your theory is wrong. I feel like should have been audio clipped out, and uh, we, if we ever do like uh, theories of lost as a series, uh, we should make sure that we have that ready to go. Then, aha, uh-huh, your theory is wrong. Um, so back with Juliet, she's going to send Roger away, go get some medical supplies, um ben's still not doing great uh they're going to talk about like options here like can we put him on the submarine no it's gone it's not going to come back for another couple of months even though it's going to come back in like a day or two (laughs) um it's an unresolvable situation except for the fact that there is one thing they can do they can bring ben to the others
3: exactly they can bring ben to they uh in particular and so yeah this is Juliet really Juliet is you know spoiler an MVP for this episode in thinking this up and really even though Kate is going to be I think the the one to handle the body she is the one that really puts the ball in motion yeah uh, and you know had this never happened ironically enough the the one other in the group is the one to think through this plan and connecting with the outside world uh, had she not gone through with this brilliant line of thinking I don't know where things would have gone from there
2: yeah so she pulls it together i mean she's pulling deep from the other's playbook like yeah this is probably a thing that they can do uh so she's gonna help kate get ben into a van she's gonna come with except uh kate doesn't want that she says sawyer would kill me Uh, i don't really want that to happen you and sawyer have a whole thing here
3: well that's the thing though is that you know kate will be surprised that not only is sawyer fine with it but he's gonna go along with it (laughs) so juliet's gonna tell sawyer off camera about it and send sawyer to her side you know this is a really interesting mirror to left behind right because we have a cassidy and kate flashback and then on the main island stuff like it's mostly kate and juliet stuff especially in this middle scene granted i think this is a much stronger episode than left behind overall and that's also some of this you know the left behind had that really fun sawyer side plot right where he becomes a leader so i think there are this is an odd sequel to that sort of forgettable season 3 episode.
2: Yeah, uh that's fun. Uh yeah, cuz I think that we'll we'll see more of them together in the incident, but this is sort of their working together uh moment of the season, I think. Um in a in a pretty big way. So Juliet's going to give Kate as much of a heads up as she can. Uh she's going to drive off in flashback we once again see the marina scene, this time from Kate's perspective. <laughs> this is it's, like they said, like, you know what, <laughs> let's,
3: let's take the the first three episodes of season two. Yeah. Let's just spoil that down into one scene and do it yeah. like four or five times.
2: Yeah. Uh, Aaron's thirsty. He wants some milk, so they're going to go to the grocery store. But oh, now I he wants to juice he made box. I think a juice box.
3: Yeah. And this yeah. is very relatable. You know, my yeah. son is only uh, a year off from Aaron, but it is very much like, uh, oh, wait, what do you want to watch? Mickey Mouse Clubhouse? Great. No, Paw Patrol. Okay, switch on Paw Patrol. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Okay, yeah. that. Like... The idea of t- making a choice and sticking with it, I think, has not implanted itself in the psychology of a toddler at this point, so I very much sympathize with kate 's plight
2: uh, jack gets uh, Jack uh, calls Kate she gets the phone call from jack she 's distracted during this Aaron goes missing uh, she starts frantically looking for aaron uh, she 's asking around, "Have you seen this boy? Uh, where is he and she sees a blonde woman who looks like Claire from behind with Aaron. Uh, And when she goes, it's not Claire. It's just a kind stranger who was going to put out the announcement for uh, uh, trying to reunite Aaron with his mother. Uh, And Kate is supremely upset, like very, very, very shaken by this moment.
3: Well, well, listen, Kate, I know you were distracted. Uh, do, you should not take your hands away from Aaron's hand. I know that she takes out her she removes her hand from his grasp to grab the phone, but like never do that. <laughs> never do that. I understand you were distracted, but that was a a no-no on Kate's part. But again, I think this is a big reckoning moment for Kate. You know, I think – because I believe the next scene – no, the next scene after this is the Cassidy one. For some reason, I thought it was the next one was going to be the Carol Littleton one. But I do feel like this is a bit of the fuse of her being like, okay, yeah, the issue is I'm still a bit paranoid about the Claire of right. it all. That there is there is a conscience in the back of my head that's saying, he's not yours, he shouldn't be yours, right? We're living this lie. And right. I think her – Somehow believing that Claire has materialized on the island and taken Aaron away, as fantastical as it may be, it's Kate's you know paranoia playing tricks on her. It resides as something that could exist in her psychology because she's led herself to believe that's possible. I think it's also the the idea that like
2: if if she believes Sawyer is still alive, which she does, like last I saw him, he was alive. Like then you know it's not uh, a far uh, cry that she believes that uh, Claire is still alive out there um and for kate who's already seen this claire vision you know in um in uh the season four finale and is now seeing a version of her here potentially um i think this is like a manifestation of her guilt and like um uh whether or not aaron belongs with kate or whatever like i think like that her, that his his birth mother is out there uh, and she uh, has just been presented with an opportunity to go and do something about it and she's like running away from that uh and what for uh for her you know is it because she's hurt by Sawyer as i mean we could just like talk about these scenes i think in in conjunction with each right, other right cuz are
3: going to get a brief scene of Kate driving up to the fence but we're pretty much then going to go into Kate visiting Cassidy She three goes years to Cassidy
2: later. with Aaron and she's like telling him everything and that Jack is going back and Jack sounds like a piece of work and she explains that uh that Aaron was uh was gone she lost him at the store she explains about how Claire was missing so she took Aaron and she had to. He needed me. And Cassidy's going to do the whole, you needed him. Sawyer broke your heart. How else were you supposed to fix it? And so I think like there is an argument that uh, Cassidy is making and, and, and there's an argument for the show making the argument that this was why Kate took uh, Aaron on. But I think regardless of where you come down on that, I think the fact that she is having these visions of Claire, uh, that they've happened a couple of times now, I think that that feels more resonant to me with where Kate's at with Aaron and like why she's running away and and what she needs to start running towards.
3: I also think that we need to speak to the fact that Kate Austin is a very self-destructive character. You know, I think it's talked about more so in people like Sawyer. We talked about that with the Cassidy stuff of like, I don't, you know, I may be in love with her, but I almost don't deserve it. We talked about that last week with Saeed a bit. But Kate is someone who I think has experienced so much trauma. I do think there is something as well to her thinking like, this is too good to be true. Right? Like, the life I have led so far has been so lonely I have been trying to move on. I have been trying to be a better person for this. This is why she wants to also, like, testify, uh, you know, at uh, in Eggtown, right? Like, speak up to the crimes of what she did, because she wants to really, like, put that past behind her and move on. And so I can imagine there's got to be at least, like, some part in in Kate's mind of, you know, not, uh, do I—am I allowed to have Aaron because of the Claire thing— I can also imagine there's a part of Kate thinking, do I deserve him of everything that I've been through? He has been such a, a beacon of happiness in my life for these three years. He's been everything. He's been my rock to that point that Cassidy makes. But do I deserve that bit of happiness? I think there is something to that. Uh, you know, I think that's also sort of spins off the sort of depression talk that we had a few weeks back yeah. about feeling. That you are a person who does not necessarily deserve happiness or deserve things in life. And I feel like unfortunately, partially due to situations she's been brought into and due to situation she makes herself, I could imagine that Kate certainly has a certain attitude, which is why maybe seeing she and Sawyer get along so well of like a fundamentally broken person who feels like when she's presented with an opportunity, it's like, what's the catch? Yeah. And maybe that's what she's thinking here of like, I get to take care of this kid. The catch is his birth mother is going to come back and take him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that 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 feels a lot closer to reality than your sads about Sawyer.
3: Exactly. I think that, because again, I feel like that, that feels so surface level for Kate. And it's even less about Kate than it is like a person in Kate's life. The read that I just gave feels more about Kate, the character, which I enjoy more, because this is a Kate episode, not a Kate and the people she's in love with episode. But I think, like,
2: also, like, it could be... And I think that this is a fun way of thinking about it, too, is, like, she hears enough of this over and over and over again. It's about a boy. It's about a boy. It's about a boy. Well, that's like, because actually, the movie, was,
3: that that was a very popular movie. Who yes. Hugh, Hugh Grant did a good job.
2: Badly drawn boy, great soundtrack. And it's like, maybe it is, actually, but it's about Aaron and not about these turds, uh, Jack and James. It's not about no, them. No, it's about, it's it's not,
3: about the, the turd head, not the turds.
2: It, you know, and it's about uh, how, how you know, it's about her. Uh, it's It's her exactly. story. And I and I think like what she goes and and says to uh, to Claire's mother, I think is uh, really refuting the premise from Cassidy, and I really appreciate that when we get there. Um, but it, it is a little difficult to chew on some of these flashback scenes for yeah. sure. Well,
3: because especially in the moment, right? Let's remember that the the last this the last scene that we or the scene I think next that we're seeing right is that Kate's at the fence, and then Sawyer's going to show up. So like, right. I think the show is really making us believe in this moment, like, okay, we just cut from Cassidy talking about Sawyer to Sawyer and Kate. Like, this is what the show wants us to believe. And again, it's going to pull the rug a bit in that scene at the end, but at least in this moment, I think we're supposed to believe, okay, all of that scans. I will also say, going back to the story scene for a second, uh, Evangeline Lilly does a great job at playing, like, a very real fear of losing your child and having to clomp around in those heels like she's freaking uh what's her name in jurassic world uh i all the power
2: yeah bryce dallas howard exactly
3: like all the power to her for for having to do that i can't remember because i think evangeline lilly didn't have her kids until after lost right i'm not
2: sure i think that's right but i don't know
3: yeah because i don't because i don't think they had to work around any sort of like pregnancy with her so yeah i can imagine that like she didn't even also have anything to pull from in that regard. So that just also will, you know, lend credence to her absolutely incredible scene later, but she does a really good job. I think in this episode, just channeling a lot of like parental fears, not to say my situation is completely applicable to what Claire's going through or or Kate's going through. But I think that she does play, she plays the parent really well. I think in general as Kate. Um, All
2: right. So some Island stuff, Uh, Kate gets to the fence. Um, Sawyer shows up. Uh, He's there to help out. Uh, When she asks him, why are you helping? He's like, oh, I was asking myself the same thing. Uh, But, like, it doesn't matter who he grows up to be. It's still wrong to let a kid die. And that's why I'm doing it. And I'm doing it for Juliet. I'm doing it for Juliet is maybe, like, a little triggering for Kate. But just, like, to stop and weigh in on it as far as Sawyer, the character, this is so consistent with Sawyer. You know, we've talked a lot about, like... When it comes to kids, you know, like this is why he shoots Tom. That's for taking the kid off the uh, off the raft. You know, that, that's like, why
3: he leaves Dominic Abate uh, walks out on like a multi million dollar deal in confidence right. matters because there's a kid involved. Like he knows this is how central much-
2: to to Sawyer and like Sawyer probably having seen like the dynamic between Roger and Ben to some extent. Like maybe some measure of empathy that he's able to develop for uh, the Ben that he knew. Um, so I think like yeah, it's it's supremely consistent with James Sport.
3: Yeah, and I also will say, uh, I personally read it, because Kate gives a look to Sawyer after he says, you know, I'm doing this for Juliet. The look to me, I think, at least read like, okay, he's completely over me. Again, that may be me projecting willing this love quadrangle uh, to be broken up, but at least the look that Kate gave him in that moment read to me as if, okay, this is done, Uh, you know, maybe Cassidy was wrong, he's clearly moved on, he's become a better person, I'm happy for it
2: yeah um all right Juliet is going to show up uh and uh really give it to Jack let's listen in
5: I needed you I'm sorry that kid was bleeding out you're a surgeon and I needed you
1: that kid is Ben
5: it's not Ben yet he's just a kid
1: (sighs) Juliet I'm sorry I can't help you
5: not asking for your help jack you made it pretty clear you weren't interested it's up to sawyer and kate now what she's trying to save him and i sent james after her to help because they actually care
1: i came back here because i care Juliet. i came back here because i was trying to save you we
5: didn't need saving we've been fine for three years you came back here for you Please do me the courtesy of telling me why.
1: I came back. Because I was supposed to.
5: Supposed to do what? I don't know yet. Well, you better figure it out.
3: Josh, we have to talk about the most egregious part of this scene, which is why does Jack step immediately out of the shower and put on a T-shirt?
2: Uh, it's it's definitely like uh, like sociopathic behavior, right? Uh, like,
3: well, it's, just, it's, just, it's it's so inconvenient, <laughs> uncomfortable a choice. That thing is going to stick to you the entire day. You're going to feel like sopping wet. The entire time. There, there are no benefits to immediately one, putting on a T-shirt. I have one
2: thought that maybe justifies it. Okay. Uh, is that it's, it's the island. And so the island is very hot. And so maybe by not drying off and putting the shirt on, he gets to stay a little bit cooler from the water, from the shower on his shirt for a little while, and just assumes that the island is going to dry it off. Uh... That's the closest I can get. It's the The closest I can get.
3: I know we're in a bit of a weird, mysterious patch of water, but we're in the South Pacific. You have plenty of trips there to know how freaking humid it gets. It's not exactly a dry heat. We're not in uh, Las Vegas here. Like, that shirt's going to stay wet all day, and I guess if you want an AC shirt, I suppose that might be the way to go about it. But, like... Maybe he just had to GTFO out of the conversation, and that was a sign of it. Like, I don't even care. I'm not even going to dry myself up. I need to get out of this conversation.
2: Maybe. It's possible. Uh, I also like how she says, it's not Ben yet. And I'm like, Juliet, you're
3: mispronouncing beignet. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, sorry. We had a fat Tuesday the other yeah. day, and I'm just in the mood for it. I burnt my beignets.
2: Yeah. It's not beignet. I never said it was. And that also doesn't need... It's more of a sandwich, kid. Uh... This is a, a sad scene between Jack and Juliet. This is a lot of, like, the reckoning, right? Of, like, yeah. uh, we needed you once upon a time. Like, uh, like what's what's your whole deal, man? Like, why are you here? Why are you ruining my life? Like, not even just, like, why didn't you save the kid? But also, like, what are you doing here?
3: And I will give kudos to Jack here that, like, he is at least, and maybe this speaks to his relationship with Juliet, that, like, with Kate, he'll still put up a front. But he has enough of like, I don't know, he feels safe enough in front of Juliet to admit like, yeah, I thought I had a purpose. I still have no idea what it is. And again, he's going to get what he feels like is going to be his guidance towards the season finale. But at least he'll admit to in this moment feeling a bit aimless. Now, I will say, you know, I think Juliet does make a good point of like, hey, we don't need saving. We were fine for three years without you showing up here. This this falls a little bit on John Locke. Right, because John Locke does come to Jack and it's like, no, they're all suffering out there. You gotta go back and save them. They all need you. Like, yes, of course, Jack is gonna come in with those circumstances. It's not Jack's fault that Locke believed that they were in mortal danger and the Oceanic Six had to go back and save them. That's unfortunately right. something that gets foisted upon Jack.
2: Right, right. But he's very lock-y in here, Mike. Uh yes. I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to. And it's almost like, it's like, when you take the, you drink the medicine you have to drink it but you don't have to like it you know you don't have to like the taste and i think that that's like the way that he says it because i'm supposed to uh it's just like it's sat like even to him it's like yeah this is humiliating to say
3: the the words don't necessarily roll around in his tongue correctly yes, but-, but i think even another lock-in principle juliet says you came back here for you And I think that's something we really pinpointed with Locke as well, right? was like, even though he was so devoted to the island, he was doing it almost self-servingly. Like, he thought this was his purpose. And so part of it was, I think, to feed that part of destiny that he's always had of like, clearly I must be suffering through all this for a reason. And so I think Juliet's speaking to that part of not only Locke, but Jack as well. of Like, listen, if you're taking on the Locke baggage, you're getting that clutch as well of like the self-sacrificial martyr syndrome
2: yeah yeah uh i know we're we're it's it's hard not to just like spend this entire uh chunk of time just harping on jack wearing the wet shirt uh (laughs) you know it's very distracting wet hot dharma summer you know um all right so let's go back into the jungle let's uh let's revisit kate and sawyer uh so this is the other portion of the love uh the love quadrangle uh, it's going to be the two of them talking a little bit more about like them sort of having their own reckoning of the relationship. I think it goes better than it went for Jack and Juliet. <laughs> That's not uh, saying much. <laughs> not saying much. Let's listen in Sound 7.
0: You know, I could take him for a while.
1: <sighs> sure you can.
0: His father said that you think Ben broke Saeed out.
4: He'll do almost anything if he's
5: pissed off enough of his folks.
0: Is that why you asked me to take care of your daughter?
5: Did you? Of course I did. Go ahead and take a back. What's she like?
0: Clementine?
5: Yeah, Clementine. Oh, she's beautiful
0: looks just like you when she smiles she's growing up fast already has a little attitude
1: bet you and Cassidy had a lot to talk about
0: she had an interesting theory on why you jumped off the chopper
1: yeah what's that
0: she thought you were worried about what would happen if you didn't
1: you and me would never worked out Kate
4: I wasn't any more fit to be your boyfriend than I am to be that little girl's father
0: you seem to be doing alright with Juliet
1: yeah I've done a lot of growing up in the past three years hands up not move I said don't move. It's a violation of the truce. You're over the line. We know. This kid's been shot. That's both of our problems. So unless you want to go to war, you're going to take us to Richard Alpert. And you're going to do it now.
3: So is Sawyer essentially saying in this scene, I used to be a real piece of shit. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah he's gonna eat the sobbing wet steak oh my exactly. god
3: exactly <laughs> oh i no, gotta get back for some sloppy steaks
2: yeah oh my god i don't even want to be around anymore um <laughs>
3: Is that, that, well, that's what miles was saying to hurley right yeah yeah yeah
2: with all of like these time travel questions there's too much shit on me um, uh every, please
3: everyone watch i think you should leave season two. yes
2: oh my god um very funny mike uh yeah, you know what? I think that this scene totally works for me, um, and I don't think that like this is like evidence of like Cassidy being absolutely right about Kate. I think that people are complicated, and I think that you can carry many things to be true at once, and I think that it is totally valid for Kate to be like, uh, "This is what Clementine said." You know, she's not saying, like, why did you leave me? Like, that's not what's happening here. She's like, yeah, you know, I was talking to Cassie. She really had a lot to say about you. You know, I think it's, like, not invalid for her to say here. And it doesn't read to me like, screw you, man. It's more like, let's talk about the awkward thing in the room. Uh, And I think also, like there are probably unresolved feelings here. Like, it's it's not that that's invalid. It's just that that does not have to be the reason she's here. And I think that the way that, like, she treats that, I think the way that Sawyer reacts to it, um, I think that, like, he he can stand to give himself a little more credit as far as, like... Maybe the Sawyer he is now, maybe James Lafleur is better equipped to go back out there in the world and be a responsible adult than the guy who he was back then, um, you know, around the time that Clementine was born and when he was in prison and stuff like that. But I think, like, the way he responds to it, like, I think that it's a lot more mature than the way that, like jack and juliet are handling their their beef i think (laughs) i think like the way that like sawyer and kate are interacting with each other here is like a really mature extension of who they were when we first met them together
3: yeah mature i think is the perfect way to describe this because i think i find this so relatable again you know this uh there's a a world of an age difference i think between like the time i look back on myself and the way sawyer looks back on himself immediately like three years ago but I think I can certainly look back on, like, things I've done, relationships I've had, and be like, that wasn't going to work out. You know, like, I now that I have the full hindsight, I've, I've matured as a person, I can look back and see, like, that was certainly important to my life. But I know in the moment, it was, like, the main thing to focus on. In retrospect, it wasn't, I'm all the better person for this path that I took. And I think Sawyer has a really healthy attitude. I think to reconcile that past, like he is so upfront basically being like, I mean, again, like I mentioned before, like, yeah, I was really bad. Like it makes sense. He does not bristle when Kate talks about what Cassidy felt about him. He's like, yep, that's completely valid. I did some really crappy things to her. And to the point where even the way that you saw me three years ago, I would not have done well, but I'm, I have changed or I have gone through some things now to the point where I have this clear head to look back and realize just how not good of a person I was. I realize that I do deserve love, uh, that I do, you know, deserve things happening to me in life. And I agree. I think that while the read, maybe the show intends us for it to be is like, do you still love me Sawyer? I think it's more so of like, uh, there's a lot of unresolved stuff going on and it's less so like, I want to hear if you still like me and more so we left things on a very climactic yeah, note. Yeah,
2: like it was weird. <laughs> like yeah. that's some, you know, like we were we were totally together and then you sacrificed yourself and stuck behind and like now I'm back here and like I moved on, you moved on, but we are here together. So like should we talk about that?
3: Yeah, like, exactly.
2: Or are we just gonna pretend like nothing ever happened? And like I guess there is like a peaceful path where sure. You pretend like nothing ever happened and you just like whatever happened didn't happen. <laughs> you know? Like <laughs> you can do that. Whatever
3: happened never happened. Yeah, That's whatever an incredible happened, day for this episode.
2: Whatever happened never happened. Like you could do it like that. Or whatever happened happened. Can we talk about that? Like, I don't think that that's unfair, and I don't think that that has to also represent, like, the entirety of Kate's character journey. And I think that the next scene uh, is a total repudiation of this idea, right? Like, I think we get into, uh and we'll listen to it in its entirety, is Kate going to Claire's mother all the way through her goodbye with Aaron. I think that this scene tells you absolutely everything you need to know about who Kate has become and who she is right now.
3: I mean, let me make this argument. Like, has Kate Austin completed her arc by the end of this episode?
2: Um, no, because she still has to find Claire. Um, but what she has done is she has, like, she has clarified her arc, I think. Like, <laughs> I, I think that she is, like, she is um, actualized in a really important way mm. that, um, you know, I think... I think sends her into the remainder of the show, whether or not the show like lives up to where she is as a character at this point, I think is a, is another question that we'll evaluate throughout the final season. Um, but I do think for, for the purposes of like giving her a reason to still be here, to like be back on the Island, they really needed to sell that. And I think that they, they do uh, a really spectacular job selling that here.
3: All right, well let's let's get out the tissues, Josh. Let's just get into it because we're I'm not going to listen to
2: it. I'm going to I'm going to take my headphones off. I I really can't right now. But uh All right, I will, we'll uh, we'll uh, listen to sound number 8 because otherwise it would it would truly make me cry. Uh really really incredible scene, the climax of this episode. Uh the the greatest uh Kate scene of the series as far as I'm concerned, sound number 8.
0: This is Littleton. Um I'm Kate Austin.
5: I know who you are. Come in. Thank you. Your friend, Dr. Shepherd, came here last night, going on and on about some person named Aaron. When I asked him who that was... He ran out of here like the room was on fire.
0: He's your grandson. And your daughter,
5: Claire, is alive. What are you talking about?
0: Claire died in the plane crash. No, she survived when we crashed your daughter was eight months pregnant and she's the one who gave birth on the island not me we lied there were other survivors too and we just left them behind why why would
5: you leave her there
0: because she disappeared and she left the baby behind we looked everywhere but that's when i started taking care of Aaron. were rescued we didn't we had to decide what to do with him and i knew that she had wanted him to be adopted but i couldn't i had to protect him
5: so i said he was mine why did you lie why didn't you come to me in the first place because i needed him
0: You can see that he's so sweet and kind and good.
5: Where is he? Um, I checked
0: in two doors down. He's asleep. I know that this is a lot for you to handle. But. When you're ready, he's waiting for you. I told him that you're his grandmother, that you'll take care of him while I'm gone, and that I'll be back soon. Where are you going? I'm going back to find your daughter.
3: why did I listen? Oh, yeah, I yeah, I wasn't. That was stupid. It. it was so stupid of me. Why did you listen? Up? Oh, <laughs> I, did <damn> it. It. <laughs> I
2: did it. I did it. Literally every time. Literally every time. Every uh, single time. Every single every time. time. Oh, because cuz she goes back and she she's like she's the only one who's like going back because like we did something wrong and it needs to be fixed and like I'm going to give up this thing that I love with all of my heart to make it right like it is it like saeed gets dragged back there right
3: hurley gets convinced at the last minute by jacob jack yeah. as he mentioned before is sort of like jack doing feels it.
2: the call of destiny but it is for sure you know still very much like the me 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 hour Sun you know? goes
3: back because she hears her husband's alive period
2: right and so she's like go, going back on a hunch like i feel like they probably could have sold that better um Kate they and, and like that's the kind of thing that like it would have been nice to have gotten something with like Sun and G on. Uh with 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 Kate you get that here with with her and Aaron and you know what like obviously the music just kills it there. Yes, yeah,
3: it's, it's it's the uh, it's the there's no place like home stuff, right? It's the Oceanic it's Six theme.
2: So beautiful because it's like this is like it's it's not the end of who she has become here. It is like the like the solidification of who she has become here. It's like it's it's you know she's been she's been living in this lie, uh, but that lie has like calloused and become her life too. And so it's like, how do you find honesty through like this dishonest place? Like this is where you are now. This is where you live emotionally. This is literally your life what are you going to do to honor it? What are you going to do to make it better? What are you going to do to make it right? And she's making that choice. Um, she's making this call. She's like confronting this thing that's wrong. And it's so, it's just so beautifully rendered through the music. It is astonishing through, you have to see it. Like her her performance of Angeline Lily, like the cry acting is just unbelievably Ugh. wrenching the delivery of uh by my by baby by just by kills baby. me i can't even talk but No, it no, i'm I mean, no, getting listen,
3: upset it's it's i'm getting hit with another um wave of emotion again because it's yeah. just it all oh, because i think as a parent it is it is like unspeakably hard to express what kate just went through because despite her misgivings she was this the mother of this child for the first 3 years of his life. And I mean as someone who's going through it currently like the first 3 years are the most important year. She has seen this child take his first steps, say his first word, you know, make his first friends, like you experience so many firsts. I have ugh, I I have uh, heard and seen a lot in becoming a parent. This idea of how having a child it's like your heart is living outside of your body. And her heart is breaking, yeah. In this scene, and it's just—I I feel for her so much. It's in so the scene. wild. It's, it's, <laughs> it's wild, and it's—it has to be the toughest thing that she has ever done. Because I know that we, we yada yada a bit through Kate and Aaron's interactions, but I—I I cannot speak enough about how pivotal those first three years are. And to—to to cut that lifeline, just—it like just shatters me just thinking about it.
2: Yeah. It's insane. It's just, it's, it's one of the most emotionally affecting scenes in the whole show. And, uh, and it like speaks to the power of this show that like every single time I encounter it, I'm just like, I'm absolutely rocked by it. And I'm not a parent. Uh, I, you know, I can't relate to it on that level, but like, like great media or great stories, uh, I think. Um, feelings can like transcend the roles that are being depicted and like uh the thing that i I really connect to in this moment is the idea of like letting go of a thing you love to like in like the or a thing that like you love or a thing that you need in pursuit of what needs to be done um in pursuit of like what is right and what is correct and what needs to happen and like it, you know without like getting like super specific over it like i can connect this to a lot of like you know like substance abuse problems that i've had or like other things that i've that i've had to like let go of and uh and relationships that have had to change i think like this whole scene just connects very strongly to the idea of um of not just, like, moving on, but, like, moving towards something. And I think in that way, Mike, mm. it is it is such a culmination of her storyline of this person who is, like, the perpetual runner, born to run, running yep. away from everything, and for the first time she's choosing – she's not running away from Aaron, she's choosing to run towards something uh, yes. for Aaron, you know? And, like, it's just so beautifully done. And I think of anyone from the Oceanic Six uh, in terms of their return to the island in that journey, they don't get anybody even close to as correct as they do with Kate in this moment. I think it's just like, it is like, it. it's not like a full mea culpa because so much of the episode can be like mired in the Sawyer stuff. Uh, but like the power of the scene, we've had this conversation before, Mike, of like, can a scene like elevate like a single scene elevate right. an entire episode.
3: We talk about that, that a lot with the endings.
2: Yeah, with like the whole truth and stuff like that and like uh for for me like this is one of those moments where this scene is so dynamite and like so so immaculately put together uh that it it absolutely raises the bar for the entirety of the episode. It just like makes it an instant classic for me.
3: Well, cuz I think also what helps this maybe as opposed to like the ending of the whole truth is that this does not come out of nowhere. This is a culmination of Kate's arc throughout the flash-forwards, where I think she has had these, like, consistent feelings nipping at her heels. Yes. And now she's finally going to take off her shoes. Like, I know we we cut to the bye-bye baby part, which is, like, again, so heartbreaking to the point that it made me cry on the podcast, but, like, it cannot be understated enough. She has told the truth to Cassidy before, but, like, her doing what she does to Carol Littleton is is a huge thing. Like you said, Kate up to this point is a liar she's an obscurer she is someone who is not ever going to come completely clean about everything we even see that in the first couple seasons right it's why it, it takes two seasons for us to figure out what kate did is because she refuses to open up to anybody about her past he or she is going to like completely reveal everything because i think for lack of a better term in this case with kate the truth will set you free yeah and i think that kate has finally realized that like facing your demons and revealing the truth as difficult as it may be in that moment is a hell of a lot better than constantly running away from your problems. This also does bring up the question for me. I have never thought about it. Josh, I'm I'm sure you have in all the Lost 2 prognosticating you've thought of, but like thinking about Aaron and Claire and Carol makes me think, what do they say when the Ajira plane comes back after the finale? Like, what do they say?
2: I know. Where did, well, where did they land? You know, like, how do they come back? What do they do? I, this is why, like, when I, when I, like, try and game this out, the only thing that makes sense to me is Hurley basically, like, outing the existence of the island.
3: Yeah, yeah so they're like, gonna, they're going to do what uh Ben like sus- uh can, you know try to put on to Charles Winmore in season 4 right of like oh the island's been revealed now it might be commercialized cuz yeah otherwise like there's going to be so many more questions that there are answers of like okay this plane came back but there's a whole bunch of people who weren't on there to begin with, and some people that we thought died in Oceanic 815 fifteen are back. And who are you? Sir, you're hundreds years old. Why are you here right now? Like yeah. it just completely blows the lid of reality wide open.
2: Yeah, it's a good thing, like they don't have to address that and like it's left in our minds to figure out how to make that hole uh that's probably for the best ultimately but it is a fair question <laughs> like yeah, how do I, any of these people like re-click back into civilization
3: i'd like to imagine that at least there's some permutation where a la the beginning of season four a la Eggtown town actually that kate moves in with claire and they do like a my two mom style raising of aaron
2: i think they should all move in together i think everyone should i think that they should all just like uh they should find their own island uh <laughs> Staten Island. Yeah, they should use that. Yeah, they should use that Oceanic Six money to to uh to buy an island where they can all be together.
3: That's the other question. Does Ajira have to pay out the nose for the crash?
2: Um. Yeah. Maybe. And it's like, wait, it's you guys again. Yeah, I know. Though I guess I I,
3: I do feel like with the way capitalism runs, sometimes Ajira would be like, "Well, the plane technically did come back, so like we can't we can't pay you for a wrecked plane."
2: Yeah. Maybe uh what ends up happening is uh this is all like I love that we're speculating on this now. Uh they fly off, uh, you know, Jack dies, watches them go, and that's the end of the show. But maybe while they're flying, Frank's like, Oh, you know, we don't have enough fuel. We gotta turn around. And so they <laughs> do just like land, and by the time they land, like Hurley and Ben are like maybe a little more put together, we're like, oh man so how do we get out Desmond has to leave to yeah we could get them all we we Ben's like I've got all these secret ways that you can get off the island and I'll also like get, I'll get you guys to Tunisia. you won't have to worry about any of this
3: exactly like I uh, don't worry them it's fun to fly the plane around for like half a second but like yeah we'll oh, just yeah. turn the wheel yeah we might be jumping around time for a hot second but like yeah we we, we figured it out this time around don't worry you it's guys amazing. are fine we'll get you back like any split
2: um i just love this scene so much mike i just uh it ever it never it never fails to to totally gut me uh yeah it's, absolutely. It's, it's one of those it's one of those moments where like you look at the cast of lost who who they are and where they are now and like evangeline lily's career has really taken off i feel like you know I mean, she's, she's, very,
3: she's arguably the most successful lost alum
2: yeah i think so and like uh you know get get into the nitty gritties where you want to but like at least like on a talent level i think that uh like it's so easy to make fun of kate as a character and uh like i there are people who i love dearly who really don't like the character uh and i think to like pin that on evangeline lily at all is really unfair To somebody who is uh i think especially with this this role being her first major role ever
3: yep uh, remember remember she was a canadian model this was her first acting role period
2: yeah uh just like staggering work i think like she always makes the most out of what she's given uh and this this scene is like the is like the realization of that for me so Uh, yeah uh, and that's something important to
3: realize she makes the most of what she's given and again to the point that i made at the very beginning of this podcast if there are Kate episodes that don't work, which a lot of them don't from a Main Island story point, it's nothing to do with Evangeline Lilly, right? There's only so much weight they can pull with what they've been, you know, put in front of them, especially if they're trying to tease along this Kate, Sawyer, Jack, Juliet stuff. Just one more thing before we move on from the heartbreak. Like, the maybe the, the saddest thing about this to me is the fact that Kate says goodbye when Aaron is sleeping. You know, it's this idea of, like, you mentioned this—the this, important sacrifice that she has to make, and the importance of her actions. But also, like, she 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 has to do it. She, I don't I don't think she could face it if she had to put him face to face and be like, "Bye, baby. I may never see you again." Yeah. I think I think even that is too tough for Kate Austin. And so, I do think it's understandable why she does this. Also, due to the fact that Aaron seems to sleep like. I was going to say, he's always
2: asleep, so it was going to play this way no matter what. Um, all right, back on the island. We're basically at the end of the episode. Kate and Sawyer uh, are brought to be, uh, with Benjamin Linus to Richard Albert. He's been shot, not shocked. Uh, we need you to save his life. And he says, if I take him, he'll never be the same. He'll forget any of this ever happened, and his innocence will be gone, and he will always be one of us. And this is like the moment where Sawyer and Kate are like, oh, man, we're... We're making it so that Ben exists. <laughs> We're making a murderer. Yeah, <laughs> streaming now. Uh, yeah, I mean this is like kind of uh, like late stage iconic stuff. That shot of like Richard dipping underneath the the temple, marching <laughs> yeah, off like, with Ben he, in his arms.
3: Yeah, backing away like he's holding like armfuls of groceries. Also, a brief nod. We saw this obviously in uh, this place is death uh, with the holes outside the temple, but it's very clear like. We're getting there. We're getting to the temple in in season six.
2: And we're getting into all of this stuff next week with dead is dead. So, uh, you know, this is a good setup for where we go next with, with Ben. Um, we end the episode with Ben waking up in 2007, and uh, the man currently wearing the face of John Locke standing over and welcoming him back to the land of the living. Yep. Uh, which is a, a nice little bit of irony. I this is this so this is uh, like the culmination of the of the nuclear option for me. Um, when you watch it, uh, Lafleur three one six Namaste. He's are you? Whatever happened happened in that order. This is where you suddenly get this like side swiping plot twist that, oh shit, John Locke is back in some capacity. And then you would go from this to the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. And I think one of the arguments, I want to say that this was the Jim Fells argument, is that then you go from this like this mission to bring Ben back, right? Like to save this kid's life. And then you go into the life and death of Jeremy Bentham, and you come to find out that what they... Uh, that this is what they bought by saving young Benjamin Linus... Is they uh, they they you know helped mold this person into existence who's going to go ahead and just absolutely ruthlessly murder John Locke. So the the disparity there, the dichotomy of those two things is is uh, is is notable for sure in that sequence.
3: And we talked about this with Jeremy Bentham that I think the Locke is alive revelation is better served for an ending than it is a beginning. So I think. That would sort of come about here. And we should also, I guess, bid adieu to the nuclear option, Josh, because the, consider the wheel stopped – from here on out, due to your viewing order, like, we're just going to watch Dead is Dead straight through the incident. But, like, this concludes the nicely rejumbled viewing order you had for the middle patch of season five.
2: For the most part, yeah. Like, this would have gone back to the life of de- the life and death of Jeremy Bentham, which then bounces to, uh, to Dead is Dead. And I think that, like, having the immediate aftermath of Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham fueling Dead is Dead makes that episode, which is already so strong, a little bit stronger, but we are still, regardless, like because of He's Our You and because of this episode, we are hovering so centrally on Ben that I think that in either order, uh, dead is dead is going to be uh, a powerful episode. I love next week's episode, so I'm really excited yeah. to to get into it. No,
3: I mean we uh, Benjamin Linus, I think, probably has the highest average of all of our character centric episodes so far. Because I mean, they've been so sparing, but I know that the man behind the curtain and uh and the shape of things to come were both straight 4.2s from both of us i would not be surprised if it was the same case next week dr linus uh, maybe not so much
2: dr linus has at least a couple of scenes that are really exceptional but i think of the four uh ben episodes it's the weakest for sure yeah
3: but i think that this is also a really fun ending because i talked about this before right like now that it's been officially confirmed yes Ben is alive. He was always going to be alive and this is what happens. It's great to cut back to him. I love the idea of cutting back to Locke. You do remove a bit of like the irony here in the nuclear option of like uh oh, you know, it's funny because Locke was, you know, Ben was the man that killed him and now he's back to the land of the living and now he's looking at John Locke, but you still get the the surprise that John Locke is alive to sort of supplant that. But I also like it because part of me feels like this is John Loki saying it partially to Ben but also like Partially to himself as well because let's remember his big plan of action right now to sort of resuscitate himself in the form of John Locke's body that essentially he's telling himself like yeah I've, I've impersonated bodies before but this this will be my master plan and I will be back in the land of the living for the first time in quite some time
2: yeah um so that's the ending uh, we got to rank it now. Whatever happened, happened. Uh, stops just short of being a perfect episode of Lost for me. I'm giving it a 4.1. Ironic, because it came out on one, Yeah. 20, uh, 2009.
3: See, something interesting, actually, I noticed about that. So it's it's four one, technically known as March 32nd. If you remember uh, the comic, March Has 32 Days, which is uh, from Mystery Tales number 40. Ironically enough, that's the comic book that Richard... Put in front of young John mm. Cabin Fever, but in that story, it's about a time traveler who basically like relives a day in his own past and thinks through like if I do anything differently, will it fundamentally change everything to come, or am I stuck repeating the same things over and over again? So the, it's just odd how much this air date lines up with that concept.
2: Yeah. Uh. Wow. That's that's wild. Uh. Yeah. Some kismet stuff. Uh. I give it the four one. Just to, I, I'm probably a lot higher on this than a lot of people. I have no problem with that. It's my show. I love this show. Um, <laughs> it's uh, my show. I have I have no issue with that. Um, that scene absolutely elevates what probably for me would be like high threes. Uh, it's just so so great, and it stops short of being the full four two. Because uh, I do think that, especially on this rewatch, like some of the Sawyer stuff, like the Sawyer Kate stuff, and like what the show is trying to sell me, I wasn't really vibing with. It yep. wasn't until we kind of like talked it through a little bit more that like I feel better about it, um, and like feel more set in my interpretation of it. That's where I choose to to live with the show. Um, but if it if that like knocks it down for for people, if there are other reasons that it knocks down for people, I, I'm I'm fine with that. For me uh what it gets right it just nails so so exceptionally right in the in the exact dead center of the target for me so i give it a
3: 4.1 yeah i ended up giving it a 3.8 which is actually the same score i gave to the little prince uh which is like another quote unquote kate centric episode uh because i i think the emotionality is So fantastic! It's it's some more great Kate flashback content, but almost like we talked about last week. I would not say this is the final bow for Kate in the way that it was for Saeed last week, but I actually feel like in both episodes they really like centralize and make these characters concrete. Like they make definitive "I am" statements about these characters. They have characters sort of like come to their own realizations about who they are. For Kate, it's really powerful and spirited. Said it's really tragic, but I think nonetheless, I think you could see a lot of connected tissue between these two characters of like, here is who I am, here is what I'm after, and they're driven to act on those impulses thereof. And I think what takes away from it is, again, the emphasis on the love quadrangle. Even though it ends here, it's something that, like I've said before, it's something I haven't really been a fan of. And like you said, I think it gets stalked a bit for, it's very clear that I think this read of it is not the way that Dalton wanted us to read the episode, at least watching it along the first time. I'm glad we found more meaning into it, but I do think intentionality maybe bumps it down a smidge, but... Uh, I know that the audience was not that far behind me. Uh, they rated it around a 3.7. I think the lowest I saw was a 3.2. But for the most part, a lot of high threes, uh, four yeah. from the men behind the curtain. That's going to average out to 3.85. And through the uh, the thousandth place via decimals, it is going to edge out 3.16 to be our number four episode of season five so far.
2: It'll it'll go lower. I don't know if it'll go below three sixteen. Certainly possible, but obviously we've got a couple of home runs coming up in the next few episodes. But um, yeah, I mean if we're looking at these season five uh, averages so far, I think our lowest for the audience average anyway is a three point four, uh, and our lowest for the entirety of the season um when you're uh when we're getting our official down the hatch score is a three point three six uh other than that it's a three point five eight so it's a very it's a very strong season uh so far in terms of the ratings uh the season five the kids like it
3: yeah exactly he likes it
2: he likes it um all right before we continue, let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode of down the hatch those are our friends over at Geico. Mike Bloom, uh, let's get into the feedback section. This question comes our way from Eric Divestine, and as I'm saying that word, those those two words, Eric <laughs> Divestine, Eric, who uh, who forgot to wish me a happy birthday on mine. Mm. I shall not forget to wish you a happy birthday on yours. Happy birthday, Eric
3: Divestein. Happy birthday! Oh.
2: As I'm saying these words, happy birthday, Eric Divestein, on your birthday. It's
3: today. Yeah, consider hopefully you listen to this on the early access patron day. Otherwise, you will accuse us of wishing you a late birthday. Nope. We did not. Let nope. the, time We've stamp got the show. receipts.
2: We've got the receipts. The timestamp shows, Eric Divestein, happy birthday. Look at me doing what you could not me eric
3: (laughs) wow such maturity Really, an (laughs) episode about maturity you coming on and being like look at what i did that you couldn't really just is fantastic
2: yep happy birthday eric we love you uh from eric eric had written and said are you team juliet and kate uh i.e i'm not gonna let the kid die or team jack whatever happened happened where do you land on this (sighs) mike
3: i mean like it's really tough to say there are teams here because what jack is essentially saying is just like Maybe I was never meant to do it. I think that's that's supposed to be the crux of his argument. I think if we're going about the way they expressed it, though, I'm team Kate and Juliet. Like, mm. I think if Jack had vocalized that idea, more of like, yeah, you think I'm the only surgeon and I'm supposed to save him, but maybe I'm not. Maybe there's something else out there. I don't necessarily need to do this. I think that scans a bit more than, well, I saved him once before, Kate, for you, and I'm not going to do it again. Like, I, th- I just think Jack did not lend himself any favors with that argument. So I have to take, from the pitch perspective, Kate and Juliet.
2: Yeah. Uh, Andrew Yu says, I loved it that Jack refused to help. I was so on board with little Ben dying. But not because I wanted a kid to die. I wanted to see what the writers would dream up as the repercussions.
3: Yeah, right, Andrew, you. i oh, am see no, right no. through you. <laughs> no,
2: no, no, I'm just I, kidding.
3: I'm just I kidding. Do think,
2: I do think it is one of the, the show's most fun uh, what-if moments. Uh, so if Disney Plus wants to get in on Lost What If, I would be very <laughs> curious to see what happens if they just let him die here.
3: Yeah, well, I think that it's, again, like I mentioned before, it, it speaks back to, like, almost, uh like, one of them is a good example of this, of... Hey, there's a guy that they caught who they said who we think is another but really isn't. How is each other character going to handle this? Like, Jack is going to take a bit more of the the friendly approach. Locke might actually get suckered by him. Saeed's going to be absolutely brutal in torturing information out of him. I really like when Lost just presents an idea and has characters respond to that based on who they are as people. And we get that in this episode.
2: Yeah. Uh, Our good friend, the Ben behind the curtain, Ben Martell says, I like all of this. I think all of the characters make the decisions that represent their character growth. And for Jack, he's finally learning to let go. And he can test it out safely within the context of knowing that Ben must live. Um, Do you read it that way? Do you read it that this is like uh, Jack, like safely testing the you gotta let go, Jack stuff?
3: I do think to a certain extent, I think he is at least letting go in the mentality of I have to fix things, which we obviously focused a lot in season one. In particular, that was a big moment with the boon of it all. and I think it's still a part that remains ingrained in Jack's psyche. I wouldn't necessarily take it as the read of like, all right, I get a, you know, a free try here. You know, (laughs) I could still I get a do over uh, where it doesn't necessarily matter. Again, I think there is a certain part of that character's philosophy that is coming from this. Does it come across in the way Jack is speaking to other people? No. But I would also say it's unfair, I think, to write off Jack as just, like, being completely pig and bullheaded and completely assigning the blame to Kate. I do think there's a portion of him that's like, I'm a new man. I have to learn to let things go. If I try to let things go here, much like Sawyer taught me to let things go back in Namaste, let me see what happens.
2: Um, Avstynensky is a thumbs down to some extent on what's going on with Kate Avritz and says Kate's motivations are not well developed why does she go back to the island she spent the last three years pulling out all the stops to be with Aaron and protect him and now she's going to dump him with grandma so she can go back to the horrible place that killed all her friends in hopes of finding Claire I don't buy it uh moreover, while we can debate the ethics of the killing baby Hitler Ben dilemma, the ethics of whether you need to intercede to save Baby Hitler or Ben are less murky, and I strongly believe that the Kate we have known for five plus seasons would have let that little jerk bleed out.
3: So I think to that point, the issue that Av is taking, which I can understand, is that we don't know the Kate of the past three years. And we talked about this a bit during LaFleur as well, about how they had to do a a bit of a backfill of like, okay, we just cut to three years later. We don't see too much of like how Sawyer becomes the person that he is and these other characters to a certain extent. We don't see that a lot with Kate. It feels like when she has scenes with Aaron, it's often clouded in other people or other situations that are hanging above her head. I do think that she is a changed person. So I could say like, I understand why the Kate in 2007 – slash 1977 would make this choice i think especially considering her recent interaction with a kid i think she also has trouble with like letting a kid die in her own hands as the way she would put it but does the show necessarily do a great job of showing that change in kate i'm not entirely sure we do have to fill in some blanks uh but i do think that evangeline lily helps lift at least some of that weight there
2: down Servo asks a very simple question. What if Claire's mom had said no? Are the Stewarts available? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, from Joanne, the Pistons fan, just give me an hour of Hurley and Miles debating time travel. Yes, I would have loved that as well. I mean, we basically are going to get that, though, in uh, something like a Hoth.
3: Yeah, honestly, I would have loved if they did some version of like the Lost 1977 podcast where it's just coming to you from the flame when Renzinski's out. It's Miles and Hurley just like talking on the microphone, bantering about time travel. I would love it.
2: Yeah, I think that would be good. All right, let's do MVP, LVPs, Mike. Uh, You've got three MVPs. I've got two. I've got three LVPs. You've got two. I'll just go really quickly because both of my MVP points are going to Kate uh yeah i think it's just an exceptional evangeline lily episode and a really strong moment for kate uh and uh i'm just gonna i'm double stacking on kate and i'm not looking back
3: yeah i'll throw one on to kate as well you know she goes she goes through with what she does she has convictions and evangeline lily puts in the best work i'd argue of her career so yeah i'm gonna give three to kate i would give more to kate but i also want to use my other two points to give one point to juliet one point to sawyer they're great co-conspirators they're great supporters here. Uh, I think that, you know, what they're what they're able to do for Kate, they're also very essential, right? Like, Kate's going through with this idea, but Juliet's the one to suggest the others, and Sawyer is the one to actually make the deal with Richard Alpert because of their relationship that they have. So I think they play pretty pivotal roles, and I think the upward trajectory of these two continues in Season 5.
2: I totally agree. Um, LVP-wise, I've got three. One of them will go to Roger Linus, uh... There's a a little it's a little hard to figure out who to dole the l v p points out to this week. I actually think, um, but I'm gonna give one to Roger because uh man, I know it is like probably his best episode um i'm I just have not shaken what he just did last week, and like a lot of this feels like a little late, you know too yep, little too, too little late. too late, and I think yeah. he's
3: also again like I think. There are redeemable moments, but again, I, I still it really gets under my skin the way he ends that conversation yeah. of essentially being like, "Well, it's it's because his mother was missing in his life." Like, no, you could have done a lot of better things, Ben uh, Roger. You could have been that supportive dad that Ben needed, but you chose not to, and for you to like assign blame to your dead wife is not doing you any favors.
2: A little icky. A little icky.
3: Um, I'm going to give an LVP play. now. This this might be contentious because it's not to cassidy it's more so to what cassidy represents yeah. I think i think you vocalized it really well earlier josh and like the pov that cassidy is speaking from i totally get but to me she almost speaks as an avatar of like the show trying to make us believe that kate needed aaron in order to get over sawyer which i fundamentally disagree with so this is me sort of like slapping the writers on the wrist by giving cassidy an lvp point
2: yeah yeah i think that that's totally legit um I've got two more. I'm giving them both to Jack. One and I'll, for, and, I'll,
3: and I'll give my last one to Jack as well.
2: Yeah, one of them for not helping uh, the surgery for a kid who had just gotten shot. And the other for putting the shirt on immediately after taking the shower.
3: Yeah, uh, I I think that uh, that's a very you know impugne worthy, and I would I'm going to give my point for just like being a little bit of a jackass for lack yeah. of a better term for like the the way he was talking to people was not a great look. Plus, I think it's perfectly balanced that Kate gets three points, Jack gets minus three points this week. I think
2: that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, next week, dead air is dead air. Dead is dead is coming up next on Down the Hatch. This is a really really great episode. Um. Uh, for, for Ben, of course, for the island, generally, um, but I think it's a really cool episode in the Smoke Monster journey, uh, mm-hmm. and one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite moments of season five coming up in the context of like what you what you come to learn about who this guy is that is uh, parading around as John Locke. You can't really watch this one any other way once you know that trick. So I think it's a really fun episode when you when you view it as um, Benjamin Linus on a road trip with the devil riding shotgun. I think it's just a really really fantastic ride. Uh, and we're so and that, and
3: we're going to fill in a bit of blanks on the Benjamin Linus backstory, right? Like we're going to get yep. him facing down with wigged uh, wigged Charles Widmore next week. We'll find out how Ben got Alex. It's going to be a real Ben. Alex-heavy episode, because we're also going to get... Obviously, we talked about how The Shape of Things to Come was a breaking point for Ben, but this is The Reckoning. And I'm really excited to look at Michael Emerson's performance in particular in that scene when he walked into the smoke monster and sort of like has to face that traumatic moment. I, I think it's gonna be a really big moment for Ben, who is also on his way to like doing something very, very big in just a few episodes' time. So it's gonna be a really incredible episode to cover.
2: Yeah. Very important one, I think for sure. So get that feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. That podcast uh is going to be recording uh next week, I believe on July 28th is if i'm not mistaken yep july 28th is when we were going to record that podcast we are reaching
3: the end of july already
2: we're getting close uh so that podcast will be up that same day for the patrons of post show recaps uh they get the the podcast a couple days early it's incentive to consider signing up if that sounds interesting to you patreon.com slash post show recaps also if you are listening to this and you joined the post show recaps patreon by letting us know that Forrest Gump had sent you here, uh, check your Patreon messages if you have not done so already. There is something waiting for you in your <laughs> inbox, so go and check that out. And shout out to Sean Yannel uh, for his participation in amazing. making this it's thing so a reality. Um, if you want to sign up, uh, patreoncom recaps and tell us that Forrest Gump sent you here, uh, you know we may be able to to let you in on what happened. So uh, knock on our door. We'll we'll
3: see what we can do. We'll be waiting for you
2: we'll be waiting for you um mike bloom what do you got going on outside of the s
3: Uh, outside of the s uh so first off the x files on the bloom files this week so we are covering the x files fight the future the first feature film lost crossover josh terry o'quinn makes an appearance in the x files movie i'm not surprised somehow i'm not surprised by this well do you want me to spoil what happens yeah i do Okay, so let me... Spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't want to know about what happens in the first act of the X-Files movie. Please tune ahead to all the other random plugs I'm going to give in just a little bit. So, Terry O'Quinn gets arsed in the, the X-Files movie.
2: Wow. <laughs> he is
3: brought in as... There's a bomb that is implanted into a, a building in Dallas that the X-Files are put onto the FBI. Terry O'Quinn sort of plays like the, uh, the SAC, the guy who's in charge. He gets sent in. He sees the bomb. He sends everyone out to defuse it. He does not defuse it. He gets blowed up.
2: Wow, you know, I remember that, but I didn't remember who was involved in that. So that's very funny that that's T.O.Q.
3: He's also uh, rocking the the mustache and the slip back hair. If you ever saw the movie The Cutting Edge, where he plays the coach, like he's he's rocking a very similar look to that, almost like Howard Hughes esque. It's a very oh fun one from T.O.Q. So yeah, lots of lost crossover. Uh, In the Bloom Files this week, of course, I had the pleasure of joining Kevin Mahadeo on Everything is Super last week to talk about the Loki finale as well as Black Widow. Two things I really enjoyed Marvel-wise. I know that, Josh, you're going to be coming back into the fold to give your own thoughts on it. Can't wait to hear that. But it is popping over in reality TV. Survivor South Africa has its merge episode coming up, which is going to be big. Shannon, Gus, and I are covering that. Big Brother 23 is going and going hard. Um, I'm appearing on an RHAP podcast about that. I'm doing ExitPress for Parade.com and if you're listening to this on Friday, on the day it comes out, you still have time at about 3pm Eastern. uh, I'm going to be hosting a Clubhouse session on the Clubhouse app via the official Big Brother channels. It's going to be me and Big Brother winners Derek Lavasser and Cody Calafiore talking about this wild season of Big Brother so far. It's a Amazing opportunity that I've been afforded. So, if you're a fan of Big Brother and you want to hear my voice and me not cry uh, like I was when I talk about scenes in Lost, be sure to check it out. It's going to be a, a really fun time. What if you do time.
2: though? What if you do cry on the Big Brother Clubhouse?
3: Uh, I mean, also Big Brother is a show where a lot of people cry too. So, like, it might be par for the course. I feel like I'd just be fitting in in that regard. But yeah, no, I guess no promises that the tears weren't won't flow.
2: Totally fair. All right. So check all of that good stuff out. Follow Mike on Twitter. He'll be tweeting about everything at a Mike Bloom type. I'm at Ron Howard. We've got so much going on here on post show recap. So just check it all out. Make sure you're doing that. Subscribe to the down the hatch podcast, your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. And just check out the whole main feed for post show recaps to see all the other incredible things that we are working on several podcasts every single week. Something in here designed to make you smile. We'll be back next week. Dead is dead. Until then, everybody, take care.
5: Bye bye.
1: I'm
5: gonna go